This podcast may contain language and subject matter that some people could find offensive. Please do not listen to this podcast if easily offended. Otherwise, enjoy the show. And welcome to the Falling Star Wrestling Podcast. On the menu today, we'll be cooking up a review and rundown of the latest offering from World Wrestling Entertainment. WWE were back in Montreal for the Elimination Chamber event, and Jimmy and I are here today to tell you our thoughts and feelings, as well as what potential matches and stories we see for WrestleMania to come. As always, I'm your host for the show. I go by many names, but you can just call me PVC. On the line with me today is the one and only, my tag team partner, Jimmy Starr. Before we jump into the show today, I just need to remind you that Falling Star Wrestling will be back at the Westland Sports and Social Club this Saturday night for Fight Night. Just announced for the show, the Disaster Artists will be taking on Wakefield's Wrestling Empire, but not in tag team competition, but in singles. I'll be going one-on-one with the difference maker, Robbie Lewis. Jimmy will be standing off against the devious and dastardly all-pro Sean Stone. Also, the first round matches for the Sound Honorary Invitational Tournament rolls on. More teams will be trying to punch their ticket to the next round in hopes of gaining a shot at the Falling Star Wrestling Tag Team titles against the Sound. Doors open at 6.30, show kicks off at 7.30. Tickets on the door, don't miss out. Now, there's so much to talk about today, so I'll keep this part short and sweet. So let's jump into our review and recap of WWE Elimination Chamber. So the WWE headed to Montreal for 2023's Elimination Chamber. We are on the road to WrestleMania. And boy, was this a show to remember. Jimmy Starr is here with me today. We're here to review, recap, and go through all the matches and all the storylines heading forward to WrestleMania in the WWE. Jimmy, how are you, sir? I'm very well, thank you. I'm very well. And it was certainly a show to remember. Plenty of highs, some lows, but... All in all, I think it was one of the better premium live events I've seen in a while. So, yeah, looking forward to reviewing it and picking it apart. And it's always cool when we've got a show with an actual actual bit of meat to the bone rather than just match after match. And that's what I felt for WWE for quite some time. But it seems that, especially since since the Survivor Series, I suppose, that their premium live events have got, been pretty good. So I suppose sort of half coinciding with Vince McMahon not having a great deal to do with the creative i don't know that might be a bit harsh of me to say because this man's obviously a genius but it seems that a new injection of creativity has definitely sparked off some interest in me and definitely this show had a match that i was genuinely looking forward to and i can't remember the last time i genuinely looked forward to a wwe main event so it was a great show yeah definitely can't wait to delve in a little bit deeper get into the details Okay, so the Elimination Chamber opened up with the Elimination Chamber match. This was a Raw women's title shot on the line. We had Oscar, Nikki Cross, Liv Morgan, Raquel Rodriguez, Natalia, and Carmella. Oscar makes her entrance to the ring. She looks focused, determined to win the match. 
which could earn her the right to challenge the Raw Women's Champion Bianca Belair at WrestleMania 39. Asuka steps inside the chamber, shakes the steel bars. Next up is Carmella, who moonwalks to the ring, exuding confidence and bravado. She taunts Asuka, steps into her own pod, ready for battle. Raquel Rodriguez enters the arena. She has a menacing glare, sending a clear message to her opponents that she means business. She too taunts the others before being locked in her pod. Nikki Cross is next to make her way to the entrance, full of energy and enthusiasm as she sprints to the chamber. Natalia, the hometown hero, receives a massive ovation from the crowd as she makes her way to the ring. Finally, Liv Morgan enters the fray full of confidence, determination. She also takes the time to visit each of the opponent's pods before locking herself in her pod. The bell signals for the start of the match. Liv Morgan and Natalia face off, sizing each other up and down before Natalia takes control with the headlock takedown. She follows up with a powerful shoulder tackle and then they both are on the ropes with Natalia rolling Liv up for the near fall. Liv responds with a two count of her own and they both smile each other as they continue to exchange blows. Obviously Natalia here, the massive fan favourite with this being in Montreal with her being a Canadian native and also a heart. The intensity of the match ramps up as Liv then takes advantage of the situation by putting Natty's head through the steel and viciously working her over. The crowd can hear Natalia scream in pain as Liv continues her assault. However, Liv's momentum is quickly halted when she charges at Natalia who dodges at the last second causing Liv to collide with a pod containing Nikki Cross. Natalia then seizes the opportunity to strike back, sending Liv crashing into another pod to the delight of the cheering fans. The fans are relentless and they chant one more time and that was a common theme running throughout the show. The fans, they were just amazing. It was great to see the Canadian fans there one more time. Natalia continues to dominate. Raquel Rodriguez bursts onto the scene and immediately unleashes her fury, laying out Natalia with devastating clotheslines. Liv attempts to fight back but Raquel quickly puts her in a place. Raquel then charges towards both of her opponents in the corner, crushing them with splashes and then launching Natalia across the ring with incredible force. The crowd erupts in excitement as Raquel follows up with a thunderous fallaway slam on Liv Morgan. Raquel continues her onslaught, delivering both a running boot to Natalia and slamming her repeatedly into the steel wall. She then hoists both Natalia and Liv onto her shoulders, looking to take them both out with a double, I don't know, Simone drop or some sort of slam here. However, Liv sees the opportunity, turns the tables, executing a sunset flip into the steel, sending all three competitors down, crashing in a heap. This was a cool little three-way spot there. Natalia then takes advantage of the situation, brings Liv back into the ring, locking in the sharpshooter. This, of course, gets the crowd popping like mad. Liv struggles but manages to kick Natalia away, counting with a submission of her own by grabbing Natty's legs. Liv then rolls up Natalia for a close near fall, delivering a big kick to her opponent. The countdown clock then signals the arrival of Nikki Cross, who enters the chamber with her eyes firmly set on victory. Cross wastes no time in taking the fight to Natalia, Raquel and Liv. Liv, she unleashes a fury of attacks, knocking down each opponent. However, Raquel retaliates by sending Cross crashing into the ring post and the cell on the outside there. But then Nikki begins to scale the chamber walls, the crowd really reacting to this. She reaches the top of Carmella's pod. She then takes off her ring jacket because she hadn't taken it off already, signaling her readiness to the other competitors. And with a bold leap, Cross launches herself off of the pod, hurtling towards the opponents, taking all three competitors down with a pretty 
cool daredevil spectacular move there. As the timer counts down, Carmela's pod opens and she enters the fray, covering Liv and then covering Natalia. Close two counts for each of those there. Meanwhile, Carmela then locks herself back in her own pod to avoid all of the chaos, much to the dismay of the crowd. Raquel manages to gain control and again drives Cross into Carmela's pod, shattering the glass. Carmela then locks herself in another pod and Raquel covers Cross for the pin, eliminating Nikki Cross in this match. Liv then surprises Raquel with a second rope code breaker for a close two count. As Liv crawls up the cage, Natalia and Raquel continue to battle in the corner. Raquel gains the upper hand, relentlessly stomping on Natalia. Suddenly, Liv leaps off Oscar's pod with a massive sunset flip powerbomb on Raquel Rodriguez. Carmela rushes in to cover Raquel for the near fall as the timer counts down and Oscar makes her way into this match to a huge pop from the crowd in Montreal. Oscar wastes no time and chases Carmella into her pod, unleashing a fury and a flurry of blows. Carmella, Oscar, Liv and Raquel remain in this match. Oscar dominates Carmella with kicks and strikes, grinds her face into the steel and even hits a German suplex on her. Raquel tries to stop Oscar, but Oscar puts her in an octopus stretch. Raquel eventually recovers and takes down Oscar. Natalia then puts Liv in the sharpshooter, but Oscar applies her own submission on Liv while she's still trapped in Natty's hold. Liv fades and the referee calls for the bell. Liv Morgan is eliminated in this match. Natalia then tries to take down Oscar with the sharpshooter but Carmella interferes by kicking Natalia in the head and covering her for the pin. Natalia is eliminated as well leaving only Carmella, Oscar and Raquel Rodriguez. In the end Carmella manages to pin Raquel after a hard fought battle between all three competitors. Carmella then tries to finish off Oscar with a big kick but Oscar catches it and puts Carmella in the ankle lock. Carmella reverses and they both trade pin attempts. Oscar finally locks in the Oscar lock and the fans go wild as Carmella taps out securing Oscar's win and making her the new number one contender for the Raw Women's Championship currently held by Bianca Belair. Now I was actually expecting to hate this match more than I thought. The match on the surface seemed to kind of lack a bit of female star power on there. So, you know, inevitably, I thought it was always going to be Asuka that was going to leave the chamber with the title shot in hand. With all that being said, I actually quite enjoyed the match, really. It never really got dull, never really seemed to drag. And probably for once, I actually thought this was probably the right place in the card. I thought it seemed odd when Natalia came out and got such a massive pop because she's Canadian, she's a heart, we mentioned it already, and it was just a weird thing because normally she gets such a sort of a drab reaction, but speaking of the fans in the show, they were just absolutely fantastic. They were loud, they were vocal, they were up for everything. It reminded me of a kind of a fun but rowdy sort of UK crowd. They were just there to just put on a show that they were like the third man in this match, and it was a really interesting thing because I think a lot of WWE crowds have been a little bit lackluster lately, but this crowd in Montreal, they were just amazing. And I think we mentioned it at the Rumble, but Raquel Rodriguez looking like a bit of a standout star in the women's locker room. I thought she looked really impressive in this match, showing real star power, size, strength, you know, her size and height. It gave her plenty of chances to stand out from the pack as well. Probably when she's maybe had a year or so in the main roster working matches, I really like to see her challenge the likes of Becky, Charlotte, and even Rhea Ripley. And I think they could all have a really nice match with Raquel Rodriguez. I think, we don't know, let's see how she's booked in the next year or so. And of course, weirdly, I thought Carmella was pretty good in this match as well. Not in terms of her in-ring stuff, 
which wasn't terrible. I don't mean she, she didn't botch anything, but it was nice having a kind of full-on heel and somebody that was not afraid to be afraid of the other wrestlers, like really selling how much of a killer Oscar is. Same for Nikki Cross as well. Her different character helped her stand out in the crowd as well because it was a bit of a stacked crowd with six people in there. I haven't really watched any of the sort of Raws or SmackDown since the Royal Rumble, so I wasn't actually aware that Rhea had chosen the SmackDown title to go after at Mania. So I was kind of a little bit disappointed Pointed Rhea wasn't going to go up against Bianca Belair, but I'm sure that Bianca and Oscar will have a decent match. And I don't know whether Bianca can overcome Oscar because they've really helped push her into the stratosphere. They're really booking Oscar strong again, which is great, but I don't know what they're going to do at WrestleMania. If I was to call it now, I'd probably say maybe Oscar will do the job for Bianca, but I'm kind of 60-40 on that one because they've done such a good job with Bianca Belair, but then it's Oscar, isn't it? They might switch it up somehow and do, I don't know, maybe a three-way. Somebody like Carmella, you could put there in there. That way that Carmella could take the fall, keep Oscar strong, but then still keep the belt on Bianca Belair. But that would probably take some creative writing. They could interject maybe Liv Morgan in there, maybe make it a four-way match, mix it up a little bit. But I guess in summation in this match, I thought it was a pretty decent match, plenty of action. I think it did wonders for the likes of Oscar and Raquel Rodriguez. Can't really say it did much for the other four women, but you can't have a chamber match with just two wrestlers. So, yeah, not too bad. Jimmy Starr, what are your thoughts, mate? Yeah, I think one thing that you said, which is which was extremely true, was the match just had a severe lack of star power. There was never anyone else other than Oscar for me who was going to win it or that should have won it. Having said that, for what it was, I enjoyed it. I think it was probably, for me, the worst match on the card. But I do like things like star power and story and Elimination Chamber is quite difficult to make into a compelling story, especially if you haven't got particularly compelling wrestlers in there. Now, having said that, there were a few standout stars for me. Michelle Rodriguez, I think, has got a really bright future in WWE. She's exactly the kind of person that they'd push to the moon and back. She's got an amazing look. She's hugely tall. She's very muscular. She's extremely beautiful. And not only that, she seems to have quite a little bit of actual athletic talent. She's not lumbering. She moves well. And I think that once she gets more experience and she gets some more reps in and she starts to realize who she is. I think that she'll be good. I don't know what the WWE's fascination is with Liv Morgan, but the fans seem to seem to like her, and she does some pretty crazy shit. And she's she's very she's athletic, but I don't know. There's just something quite get about her. I don't see her in the top echelon of female stars, but again, she did all right. So that was a it was a pretty good showing for her. Nikki Cross, I can't get on board with. I've never I've never seem to enjoy any of her characters no matter what she's done and I don't really particularly enjoy her wrestling style I just don't I just again she's not for me but she seemed to be disposed of pretty quickly after they did the, the elimination chamber crossbody off the chamber spot which they seem to do in 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 most of the elimination chamber matches nowadays I mean it was all right it was basically a way to to get Oscar over but it just sort of looked like she didn't really have much competition. And it also seemed, I don't know whether you felt it when you were watching it, but it almost seemed like, you know, we knew Oscar was going to win it, but there wasn't any sort of the falsies or anything in it to make it seem more interesting. Once Oscar got in, when she was obviously the last to get in out of the chamber, she's just kicked the shit out of everyone, run rough shot. And aside from a few little bits here and there, 
she never looked like she was going to lose it. So it was just, it was a match that was okay. It was a chamber match that was okay. It was fairly solid. There were some odd little clunky bits in there where people look confused. I think out of, again, I don't mean this to be a sort of gender-specific thing, but I think out of a lot of the matches that I see, apart from the top-flight women, it does happen with the guys as well, but apart from the top-flight women, the girls do seem to have more of a propensity to look like they're lost in there sometimes. But again, don't know how much experience is really in there. And when they're on the road, how many reps do they get in? Or and I because I don't watch Raw or SmackDown, I don't really know how often they're working on those shows. It seemed to be an okay match full of a bunch of fairly uninteresting wrestlers, and some of them shined, some of them did okay. But for me, there was no one who was going to win it other than Oscar, and there was no one who should have won it other than Oscar. Like you, Oscar and Bianca Belair, I see that being a good match. I don't really know where they can go. Like I'm looking at Bianca Belair and. I think she's amazing. But as a baby face, I don't really see where they can go with her other than just being what she is. And if she's shifting merch and if she's the little girl's favourite, they're going to keep her where she is. But I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a little bit more, if we saw a heel turn somewhere down the line. I don't know if it'll be at Mania. I don't know what will happen there. But I just think it'll be interesting to explore more options with Bianca Belair. Alska isn't really a heel. People love her. So it's, it just seems like it's a potentially uninteresting sort of babyface versus babyface match storyline-wise. Now, I can see how it could be a great match. It just remains to be seen what they do between now and Mania to make Alska seem as interesting as Rhea Ripley versus Charlotte Flair, right? That's the other match. That match, to me, is far more interesting. I... I I'm looking forward to that match much, much more because Rhea Ripley's fucking interesting. Charlotte Flair's amazing. And I think that they're just, to me, that has holds more gravitas. Again, they've, they've got to have another championship match. And like you say, they might bung an extra person in it, like a Carmella or whoever. But whoever they bung into it, is it going to make it that much more interesting? But to me, it was, I think it was probably, the for me, the worst match of the night or the least interesting match of the night the least star power but as an opener it and for action and stuff it was pretty good it was pretty good it was okay i just think when you haven't really got any stars in there and just one and one clear wrestler who's ahead of the pack then i don't know it stunts your enjoyment a little bit i don't know if it does for you but it does for me you know i think when i think about it and the six wrestlers that were in that match if that was just a regular six person tag team match or a six way match or something like that. And you take away the gimmick of the elimination chamber, then it doesn't seem that interesting. It was almost like you had to have this match inside the chamber for it to actually be more exciting. Cause otherwise, why would you have somebody like Nikki Cross in there? Why would you have somebody like Natalia in there? You may as well just have a fatal four way match for the number one contendership. We have Oscar, Carmella, I don't know, Raquel Rodriguez and Liv Morgan. And that might've held a bit more gravitas as you were mentioning there, But because it was set within the chamber, I was able to kind of easily bypass that and think, oh, these girls are working hard. Like they're putting on a decent match. They did quite a few spots. Like everything seemed to hit pretty well. There was no real mess ups or anything like that. Everyone looked like they came out of it okay. It didn't really further the story like we're going to talk about in the men's elimination chamber match. That sort of furthered the stories of other people that were in the match other than just the winner. Whereas it only seems like Asuka is the person being pushed forward. I can't think of any other matches that may 
go ahead because of this match. Does that make sense? Yeah, of course. Yeah. And I think, like you said, because the crowd was so awesome, that helps hugely. I mean, I think that Elimination Chamber match held in America would have been a bit of a been a bit of a dud in, in terms of sort of audience participation. Here's the thing I was going to point out, and because I, I, I was trying to work this out actually, and this is a bit unrelated to the to the match. But whilst I think about it, I'll say it because otherwise I'll forget if I wait to say it until later. Like you, like, WWE is a PG product, right? And it's based around kids, and kids watch it, and all that sort of stuff, and whatever. But the amount of times I heard the word fuck on that show with the crowd <laughs> shouting, fuck you, Roman, or fuck you, Austin Theory, or fuck you this, or fuck you that, or fucking holy shit, and all that sort of stuff. Like, what? How? I wonder how the rating systems work, because obviously, if it's not scripted that you're going to say fuck, and it should be a PG product, because none of the wrestlers are going to shout fuck down the microphone, and none of the wrestlers are going to say fuck or swear at each other in the ring audibly. So, okay, fair enough. The show's meant to be a PG product, but you can't control what the crowd are going to say. The kids are hearing the word fuck. Everyone else is hearing the word fuck. So, but they still can't, you know, there can't be a bit of clarity involved in wrestling or we can't use this sort of weapon. We can't use that sort of weapon because people might get offended. But what about the fuck? I must have heard 200 fucks watching that show with the crowd and not just 200 fucks, 17,500 people shouting over and over again i know you can't control that but it's very interesting isn't it i mean watching it live you can even excuse the fact when it's live anything can happen live but i watch a taped version not a taped version but i watched the i watched on the network on the on the, on the monday so they could have bleeped out the fucks by that point they could have got the wwe team to to be on fuck detail get rid of a few and sweary words so interesting isn't it? how that product can be presented as a pg product because if I was running a show and everyone started shouting, I don't know, fuck you, bash you or whatever to, uh, during the show, I'd make sure the MC fucking told them to shut up or they'd get their ass kicked out the door. I know you can't do that with 17,500 people, but it's just a case of, it, I just found it, I don't know, it's, I suppose it's a sort of bit of an unutterable question, really. Everyone sits down to watch the wrestling together um, as a family and all they're hearing is fuck. It was just a thought I had whilst I was watching it, thinking, how can this be a PG product? <laughs> I think if Michael Cole or Corey Graves would have came out and said that, then, yeah, they're going to get taken off the air or there's going to be some repercussions or a fine or something like that. But I think it is because it's the fans. You've got 17,000 fans in there saying F you Roman, F you Dominic or whatever like that. You can kind of get away with it because you can half hear what they're saying. And I can imagine a lot of parents sitting there being like, this is a little bit awkward if I have to explain what this is to my eight-year-old kid. What are they saying, mum? Are they saying? Now they're saying duck. They're saying duck, Roman, duck. Good luck, Dominic. Good luck. It's just that awkwardness of sitting there and being like, I can't repeat what they're saying there. And maybe there's a little bit of that. I don't know what it is. Maybe WWE would just... Yeah, I suppose, I, it's, not, it's nothing really. It's just... And obviously I'm the last one to, to complain about a swear word. But I was just thinking, especially in the last match, which we'll speak about later, but it was so blatantly obvious that people were shouting, fuck you, Roman, over and over again until they were blue in the face. And it was just interesting because... Even back in the Attitude Era, where the actual product was a little bit more racier and the, the violence was a little bit more intense and there was blood and chair shots to the head and all that sort of stuff, which, again, chair shots to the head, I don't condone. But a little bit of claret here and there, I don't think such a bad thing. I don't remember the crowd ever really shouting, fuck you, Taker, or fuck you, uh, Austin, or anything like that. I think the crowds were a little bit more tame then. I think the holy shit came into it, but it was more the... 
ECW crowds, I think, who got the uh, smart marky sweary charts going on. I mean, I know what I prefer my kid to see. Actually, <laughs> I, I wouldn't give two shits either way. But going back to that match, <clears throat> it was all right. It was the least interesting out, out of a good night's worth of wrestling. You can't say anything was really wrong with it, but I think to me, it just it was the least interesting. And I think that match, the match of Oscar and Bianca Belair, is not as interesting to me as the other women's match that's already booked. And I'm sure there'll be many more, but um, but between now and Mania, but out of the two, I know which one I'll if I had to choose which one I'd watch. Yeah, for sure. So Oscar goes on to wrestle Bianca Belair at WrestleMania for the Royal Women's Championship. Then we went into match number two, the highly anticipated match between Bobby Lashley and Brock Lesnar is about to start. The crowd waits with bated breath. First out is Lashley, who makes his way to the ring with an air of confidence posing in the corner. Next up is Lesnar, who receives a thunderous ovation as he makes his way down to the ring. Looking all business tonight, he bounces around the stage, proceeds to walk towards the ring with purpose not cracking a smile until he reaches ringside. As soon as the bell rings, Lesnar charges towards Lashley, drives him into the corner with force. He unleashes big thrusts and hits a massive belly-to-belly suplex. After beating Lashley outside the ring, Lesnar rolls him back in to continue the match, but Lashley is not going to give up that easily and meets Lesnar with a big spear, which only earns him a two-count from the referee. Waiting for Lesnar to get up, Lashley hits another spear, but Lesnar manages to resist when Lashley tries to apply the hurt lock Instead, Lesnar overpowers Lashley, hits him with the F5, which almost earns him a victory, but Lashley kicks out at the last second. Despite his limping, Lesnar tries again for the F5, and this time he hits it perfectly, but Lashley again kicks out in time. The fans in the arena start chanting one more time for the F5. Lesnar placed the crowd before attempting the move one more time. However, Lashley manages to block the F5, hits Lesnar with a third spear. The fans react with boos as Lashley shouts at Lesnar to get up and fight. Lashley once again attempts to, tr- to apply the hurt lock on Lesnar and this time manages to lock it in despite Lesnar's resistance. Lashley persists and the referee checks on Lesnar as the crowd roars in excitement. Lesnar, struggling to break free from the hold, begins to lose consciousness and the fans rally behind him, urging him to keep fighting and just when it seems like Lesnar might be defeated by the Hurt Lock, he suddenly manages to land a low blow on Lashley, causing Lashley to go down. The referee has no choice but to call the match, much to the disappointment of the crowd who boo the decision. In the end, Bobby Lashley is declared the winner of the match, but only by disqualification due to Lesnar's low blow. As Lashley's music plays in the background, Lesnar approaches referee Chad Patton, talking to him before briefly delivering an explosive F5 that sends him crashing to the mat, eliciting a huge crowd reaction. Lesnar then turns his attention back to Lashley, delivering another F5 to the already downed wrestler. Lesnar drags Lashley out of the ring, proceeds to dismantle the announce table. Lesnar hoists Lashley onto his shoulders, drives him through the table with yet another F5. And with a devilish grin, Lesnar picks the referee up again, who looks pretty much in pain at the moment, throws him on the remnants of the table, delivering a final F5 to the helpless official now. Uh, can, I, can I go on this one? Oh, can yeah, I go yeah, on this yeah. One? yeah Ryan. I love this, right? And I know that it got a little bit fucking lambasted online and whatever, but honestly, I love these matches. It's just five minutes of fucking lunacy. And it's, I think, like, Lesnar has created a new style of match over the past few years, which I think has been sort of widely regarded as a sort of Lesnar match. Just five minutes of fucking strong, heavy hitting, big man moves, big balls, smashing the fuck out of each other. 
two men, not just men, but just two fucking absolute fucking just gigantic fucking beasts, real men, real big fucking muscular fucking superstars, stars, actual stars, two fucking stars, especially Lesnar, like the old days, just going at it, fucking hammer and tong, and I loved it. And I even like the finish. It's just Lesnar's too proud. He's he knows he's gonna give up. He knows he's fucked. So he's already put Bobby Ashley Lashley over, really, in in some way, shape, or form. But they know they've got to continue to continue this to Mania. I don't know what will happen. There'll obviously be some kind of rules match, maybe an I quit or a no DQ or something along those lines, which will probably last a little bit longer or whatever. But it was, and I know it, obviously it makes no real psychological sense. And I harp on about psychology, about Brock Lesnar kicking someone in the balls, even though he's obviously the blatant baby face. But the crowd loved it. I loved it. The psychology for me, I justified it as Lesnar's too proud to give up. He'll never give up. Never in a million years would he give up to the hurt locker. So bang, fuck it. Hold that in the balls. And then fuck you, ref, you take this. And then fuck you, Lashley, you take that. Just out of sheer anger and sheer rage. It's just compared to what we've just seen, bearing in mind we've just spent 25 minutes watching people we don't care about really put a shift in and really work hard and essentially achieve nothing. And then you watch two blokes just go in there for four or five minutes and leave you wanting more. And that sometimes what wrestling's about. And bearing in mind, it was the second match. We knew what we had to come. We knew we had Elimination Chamber matches to come. We knew we had the fucking, probably one of the most hotly anticipated main events in the world in, in recent years to come. So this could be that match that it needed to be. And I loved it for it. I could have told you move for move what was going to happen beforehand, apart from the kick in the balls. And maybe the referee getting thrown on, dumped on his fucking face on, on that little bit of table there. I just love it. I just love seeing two dudes of that size just fucking go for it. And the other thing is, is watching the little package there as well. Like Lesnar, when he wants to bump for you and work, he will put you over. And he put Lashley over in that match more than most fans will think. Most fans will watch that match and they'll go, oh, fuck me, what a disappointing ending. But if you put the psychology and storytelling or a little spin that I did because I wanted to try and convince myself it was a good finish, maybe, I don't know. But like, <laughs> you put, and I put the little bit of psychology into it. It's like a man so proud that he would never, ever give up. To He would never, ever give up just fucking having to resort to kicking his opponent in the bollocks and then just taking his frustrations out on everyone else. And not only is it, he taking his frustrations out on everyone else. It's not just a normal man doing it. It's Brock Lesnar doing it. Fucking awesome. Really enjoyed it. They achieved so much more in that four minutes and then probably a 10-minute segment than that first match did and probably a lot of the other matches did, apart from the last one, in 30 minutes or so. Thoroughly enjoyed it and was what was needed after an Elimination Chamber match. Yeah, I mean, what were we expecting, really? A five-star classic, 30-minute Broadway draw, catches catch can special... It was exactly what was advertised, really, wasn't it? Just two big brutes just lumping the heck out of each other for, I don't know, five minutes. I did have a feeling heading into the match that there would be some shenanigans because I assumed this match was actually going to happen at WrestleMania. And I was actually surprised when they announced it for an Elimination Chamber. So I wasn't really super shocked when they did the DQ finish. But, I mean, 
I thought they'd probably go for more of a double DQ or some sort of count out or something like that, just so it keeps it even, because that was basically the story leading up to this match, wasn't it? It was like, okay, Lesnar's got one victory, Bobby Lashley's got the other victory, this is the rubber match, who's going to be reigning supreme as the super heavyweight athlete, MMA spectacular fighter, whatever. But then with this kind of DQ win, I mean, Bobby Lashley technically won the match because Brock Lesnar got DQ'd, so... I guess if you're looking at it from that perspective, it is now 2-1 to Bobby Lashley because he got a win over Lesnar. So that kind of really murkies the water a little bit, especially for WrestleMania if they're going to go there. Because if Brock then beats Bobby at WrestleMania, Bobby Lashley's just going to turn around and be like, oh yeah, it's two matches each. Yeah, yeah, it's been a pleasure. We'll go on a little merry way. I don't know. You can see the story coming up. Okay, the story coming up is Bobby Lashley pinned Brock Lesnar on the first round, last WrestleMania or whatever the fuck it was. And then that show over, over in wherever the fuck they were, he went for the Hurt Locker and he did the old pushback, didn't he? And pinned Lashley from that. So you can see where they're going. Brock Lesnar's going to say, you know, you might have pinned me, but I know it's killing you. Or he'll either say it or Bobby Lashley will say it. In a roundabout way, it'll be like, you've never made Brock Lesnar quit. And someone will say somewhere along the lines that in the past so-and-so years, no one's made Brock Lesnar quit. Brock Lesnar, you can't make him quit. And I think that's what's going to be the storyline going into Mania. That's why I think it will either be an I quit match or something along those lines, because that's I think that's the only real angle that they can go for. If they're going to try and create a special kind of match out of it, they might just... I might just have a rematch. But I think the, for me, the path that I would take with that would be the fact that Bobby Lashley has made so many people pass out, so many of the, all the other guys tap. And between now and Mania, I'd have him just run rough shot, making people tap and pass out with a hurt locker. And this will be fucking you, Brock Lesnar. And, and the way I'm going to make sure it's going to happen is uh, for an I quit match or something like that. So that that's I think that's the angle they're going to take, the fact that he's never made Brock Lesnar quit because... Brock Lesnar's a baby face, really, but they seem to have gone back to full heel Lashley, which works, by the way. I think Lashley looks so much better coming out in a suit, being that sort of heel character. I think that they can get something pretty cool going on for Mania if they stick to the fact that you've never made Brock Lesnar Brock Lesnar tap and see where it goes from there. Because, like you said, Brock is actually beating him and Brock Lesnar's losing his temper and losing his shit. But Brock Lesnar's really putting Bobby Lashley over, so we obviously see something in him. And like I say, I think Brock Lesnar's bum-taking ability has always been called into question. It's like, oh, he doesn't sell for anyone, he doesn't do this. When he feels it's right, and if he's got the right opponent, and he wants to work with them, and obviously Brock Lesnar's quite a, very protective of his character and his gimmick, and there's probably quite a, a large ego there. But when he feels like someone's worthy of working with him, He'll sell their ass off, his ass off for him. And he's I think he's a great bump taker. And I really do think that, that that he's underrated in a lot of ways. But the crowd loved it and I loved it. And yeah, it was exactly what you'd expect. And the finish was a bit of a surprise in just the fact that it makes Brock Lesnar look bad. He threw a fucking wobbly afterwards as well. But that's what people want to see. They just want to see Brock Lesnar destroy shit. For a few of the reviews I read, they didn't like it. But I don't ever know what they think they're going to get from Brock Lesnar. I mean, you get the occasional match like you did at SummerSlam against Reigns, which was just crazy and fun and amazing. And Brock Lesnar can do that too. But he's got his own style and kind of match, which I, re I really personally dig it. So I'm going to enjoy it. But I can imagine this being the sort of match that's just a bit of a throwaway for you, Shawnee. 
Yeah, it was a little bit because I knew exactly what was going to happen, really. And I think I've seen enough kind of Brock Lesnar matches like this that I wasn't shocked that it was short and I wasn't shocked that it was basically rush into the corner, a couple of knees, belly to belly suplex, spear, F5 spear, hurt lock. Like I saw that coming. So I was, I was prepared for it and it didn't really kind of take me into that sort of spectacle where I was going to jump out of my seat when I hit, see another spear because I'm trained to, to feel that way when I watch Brock Lesnar matches. Like I think back, I can't remember which match it was probably like one of the first times Brock came back and it might've been against Goldberg and it was like a really quick match. And that was fantastic. They just lumped the crap out of each other. But because it happens so often now, I've become conditioned to know exactly what a Brock Lesnar match is going to be. And that's why I love that SummerSlam match that you mentioned there where they had the, was it the... The ball, the crate, the digger in, didn't they? The the fucking... Yeah, yeah. What's the match type? We Last man standing match. That's it. Yeah, they... And that was cool because it was sort of a little bit longer. There was a lot more intrigue in there. You had the story with Paul Heyman. And then, yeah, he came out with a bloody tractor. There was that craziness going on. And it was just they piled everything on Brock Lesnar just to beat him. That was cool. That was interesting. But this was just more of Brock Lesnar. And I get what you're saying with fans and the critics and stuff like that. But I think you have to take Brock Lesnar out of professional wrestling and everything you know and love and respect about professional wrestling and you know heels do this and baby faces do this and characters that are good act in this certain way you just got to take Brock Lesnar out of that put him in his own little lane and just go okay Brock does exactly what Brock wants to do and if he gets cheered brilliant if he gets booed brilliant if he gets a reaction that's exactly what we're going for if he attacks the referee we don't care it's Brock Lesnar if he kicks somebody in the balls we don't care it's Brock Lesnar if he comes out on a tractor and destroys the ring we don't care it's Brock Lesnar because he's just in his own little lane and you can't really do anything other than what Brock Lesnar wants to do and I guess that's just the most interesting thing about Brock Lesnar but I think With both men being highly decorated MMA fighters, big super heavyweights, they can both throw hands, they can both mat wrestle. Could they do some sort of half gimmicked, half legitimate like MMA fight, maybe like an octagon or something like that? Because I don't know, like that's what they're both known for. I'm pretty sure I'm saying this correct. Like Bobby Lashley was pretty good when he was in Bellator. I think he was undefeated. Obviously, Brock Lesnar was the UFC heavyweight champion. So they both have real high credentials in both sort of mat wrestling, Olympic wrestling, things like that. Of course, MMA and of course, professional wrestling as well. Like they both have a very, very similar style, look, the way they perform, the way they're just like smash mouth. If they could both train for the next... I don't know, six weeks. I think that's how long we got to WrestleMania. If they properly trained and conditioned for a legitimate MMA fight, I think that would draw massively for WrestleMania. But I don't know what it would do to like their reputations because if you went in there and just, you know, Bobby and Brock backstage shook hands, went out in, in the octagon and said, whatever happens, happens. I don't know whether Brock would be able to come back from being legitimately knocked out by Bobby Lashley. And again, I know it's professional wrestling. You can just write a story somebody comes out and does a promo and then you just undone everything that happened in that ring. But I think that could be quite an interesting thing. Regardless of what the match was that we saw, was it bad? I mean, it wasn't bad, was it? It it was pretty good. It was pretty entertaining. But I didn't actually like the finish probably as much as you did. And maybe you've convinced me slightly with what could happen leading up to WrestleMania with Brock Lesnar coming out and saying, all right, yeah, I kicked you in the balls. You are technically 2-1 up in in matches and stuff, but we're still 1-1 in pinfall victories. Nobody's made me quit. I get that. That's fine. 
This was just a kind of a stopgap before WrestleMania. I don't know what they can do for WrestleMania. They could do some sort of gimmick match. They did the last man standing match with Roman, so they're probably not going to do that. I feel like WWE have done an I Quit match quite recently. I think it was Extreme Rules with Edge and Finn Balor, so I don't think they're going to do that. I don't know if they could sprinkle in some MMA-based competitor. I don't know, special guest referee Ken Shamrock, but I don't really know if that's going to be a draw or not. So it's going to be a gimmick match but I don't know what it's going to be heading into WrestleMania. You made an interesting point, actually. And I, th- I think the problem with doing like any kind of shoot thing is if they do it at WrestleMania, no matter what happens, even if they lump seven bells of shit out of each other, people are going to say it's a work. I think if they were to ever do some kind of MMA thing, they would need to do it on an MMA platform. I think that... I think it'd be cool and I think it would draw and I think you could fucking do some pay-per-views out of it and if you paid all ads enough, I'm sure they'd happily do it. Being a WWE arena on a WWE show, I think it's always going to have the stigma of a work attached to it and I think that some of these things can be quite boring, some of these things can be the MMA type stuff to a wrestling fan. It's probably not as attractive as it would be to an MMA fan. Now, I would pay to watch Bobby Lashley and Brock Lesnar knock seven bells out of each other in an MMA fight I wouldn't particularly want to see it on a WrestleMania because I just think it, it would always be considered a work, no matter what happened. And it, I just think that there's more they can do with the story. I, like you, I didn't expect them to have a match at Elimination Chamber, to be honest with you. I thought it was just going to go to Mania and they were probably going to have roughly the same match they did there, but with a, a clean victory. So, And that's probably what they will do, really, in the end. I hope they give it a little bit more at Mania. I really do. And I hope there's some... I, I, maybe... It doesn't necessarily need to be a gimmick. It might help if it was. But yeah, I think if you added the air of legitimacy with the MMA background, if you did it in WWE, people would just say it was bent. That's my personal opinion. I don't know. But it'll be interesting to see. It'll be a, I do like those two guys. and I think they're both very talented. And I like seeing them in the ring stood together aesthetically. I think it's the best thing that WWE have got. And no matter what, whatever kind of matches Brock Lesnar seems to churn out, his star power doesn't seem to wane, so he's doing something right. He leaves people definitely wanting to see more of him, most definitely. Yeah, for sure. He's a star through and through, and no matter what they do with him, he's going to be there at WrestleMania, and he's going to draw a crowd, definitely. So I guess we'll just have to wait and see what they do for Brock Lesnar versus Bobby Lashley at WrestleMania, if that's going to be the match, which we assume it is going to be, because of the way that they left this match at Elimination Chamber and the way they've built it up since Bobby Lashley chucked Brock Lesnar out of the Royal Rumble. And I think I read somewhere that Brock Lesnar, like when he got chucked out of the Rumble and started demolishing the table, I think everyone was cool with that. But then when he started attacking referees, they were like, whoa, don't do that. And then for some reason, they just let him beat that poor referee up at Elimination Chamber. Maybe Maybe they were just being like, I guess he is the beast. Like, we can't contain the beast. We'll just let him do whatever he wants to do. And then the referee just, like, looks on the call sheet and he's like, oh, I'm refereeing uh, Brock versus Bobby. That's going to be fun. And then Brock comes over and is like, you're taking an F5. Cool, sweet. On the outside. Sweet. On top of a demolished table. No, not sweet. (laughs) I suppose it's one of those gimmicks where if the refs are getting, like, manhandled and they don't know about it, then there's a cause for heat. But if beforehand is sorry brother you're getting fucking f5 do you know how to take one no you're getting f5 anyway okay so if i suppose the heat comes when they don't know about it but yeah yeah i heard he had a bit of backstage heat because he went a bit too, bit too far but hey ho that's brock he obviously thought he needed to do it and i definitely wouldn't want to be fucking thrown about by the fucking guy he's a he's an absolute savage and obviously 
Brock Lesnar has a huge amount of respect for uh, Bobby Lashley. So we'll see where it goes. Indeed, then Elimination Chamber rolled on. The crowd is treated to some mixed tag team action as the Judgment Day, consisting of Finn Balor and Rhea Ripley with Dominic Mysterio on the outside, make their entrance. Damien Priest is notably absent as he prepares for his own match. The WWE Hall of Famers Edge and Beth Phoenix make their way down to the ring to a raucous reception from the Canadian crowd. Edge really feeding off the energy. The crowd continues to show their love for Edge, singing along to his theme song, and uh, as the match gets underway, Bala and Edge start off with a lockup. Bala quickly drops Edge with the shoulder and flexes towards Beth. Edge retaliates by unloading on Bala with a flurry of punches. The action heats up as Edge and Bala are forced to step out of the ring and watch the two women go head to head. Edge shouts words of encouragement to his wife as they exchange punches with neither one backing down. The intensity builds as they both attempt clotheslines that have no effect on each other. As the match continues, Dominic Mysterio whispers something into Rhea Ripley's ear from the apron causing the fans to seriously boo Dominic Mysterio here he's got major heat and uh, it's clear that Dominic he's trying to influence this match in some way which only adds to the tension in the ring the two women continue to battle it out with neither gaining a clear advantage Beth and Rhea are in the ring engaging in a test of strength Rhea tries to execute the riptide Phoenix avoids a clothesline and drops Ripley to the mat forcing her to retreat to the floor Phoenix then turns her attention to Dominic Mysterio who's standing at ringside. As Phoenix moves towards Dominic, she suddenly turns around and decks Ripley. Phoenix climbs to the top rope, but Dominic distracts her, causing her to lose her balance. Edge comes into his wife's aid, but Dominic flees through the crowd. Ripley takes advantage of the situation and turns Phoenix upside down in the corner, putting her in the tree of woe before landing a few kicks. Dominic comes back down the entranceway to massive boos as well. Fans continue to chant F you Dominic, as we were talking about earlier on today. Lots of F-bombs in the show by the crowd as Rhea and Beth go at it. Ripley stops the tag as Edge reaches towards his wife. Beth counters and drops Ripley with a big DDT. Despite Edge's attempts to tag in, Bala prevents it by going underneath the ring and pulling Edge off of the ring apron, leaving him lying on the floor. Ripley takes advantage of the situation, hits Beth with a devastating blow, preventing her from tagging in Edge. Beth is left stranded in the ring as Ripley gains the upper hand. However, Beth manages to regain control and climbs to the top for a superplex. Ripley fights back, but Beth holds her ground and executes a picture-perfect superplex off the top, eliciting a massive pop from the crowd. Both wrestlers are left writhing in pain, clutching their lower backs. Meanwhile, Dominic continues to watch from the sidelines as fans continue to shower him with boos and taunts. Edge tags in and quickly gains the upper hand on Finn Balor. However, Balor takes him down with a stomp and applies pressure with a submission hold, refusing to give up. Edge counters the hold and puts Balor in a submission hold of his own in the center of the ring. Ripley attempts to intervene, but Beth drops her with a well-placed hit. Beth then applies the educator to Ripley, while Edge keeps Balor in his submission hold, both putting their opponents in a tough position right here. The ref steps in and stops Dominic from trying to run into the ring. After Ripley is freed, she quickly drops Beth with a forceful headbutt really like that then Dominic slides in a pair of brass knuckles to Rhea who takes advantage of the opportunity and hits, hits Edge across the face with them leaves him stunned on the mat Rhea then assists Bala to lay on top of Edge for a close two count but Beth manages kind of to break up the pinfall just in time. Meanwhile, Finn Balor tries to take advantage of the distraction, mounts Edge with the flurries of punches. As Balor climbs to the top rope to deliver the finishing move, the coup de grace, Beth quickly intervenes, sends Dominic into the ropes, causing him to crotch Balor and preventing the move. 
In the middle of the ring, Edge gains the upper hand as he rocks Balor with a series of strikes in the corner. Beth seizes the opportunity, executing a powerful powerbomb on Balor as Rhea does the same to Edge. Stereo powerbombs from the top. The impact of the move leaves both competitors down on the mat, leaving Rhea and Beth to face off in the ring. They rush towards each other, colliding in the center of the ring, causing both to fall to the mat. As the chaos ensues, Dominic seizes the opportunity to position the ring steps while Rhea assists him in putting Beth head down on top of the steps. He hands Rhea a steel chair, which she wields with malicious intent as Bala makes Edge watch on in horror. However, Beth manages to break free from the steel steps and sends Rhea crashing into them, followed by delivering a devastating glam slam on the floor. Edge capitalizes on Bala hitting an execution on him and then executes a big suicide dive onto Dominic on the floor. The crowd go absolutely wild at this point. The excitement reaches its peak. Edge yells out to the roaring crowd, enters the ring determined to get the victory. However, Bala intercepts him with a lightning fast sling blade, sending Edge crashing to the mat. Beth Phoenix rushes in and eventually they both hit the shatter machine on Finn Bala, leaving him down and out with the crowd on their feet. Edge covers Bala for the three count, secures the win for himself and Beth Phoenix. The celebration begins as the grit couple basks in their glory while their defeated opponents slowly make their way to the locker room with their heads hung low. And with the last match, Jim, do you want to jump in here or are you happy to hear my thoughts first? Go, go, you go ahead. I think this match will probably split the fans. I think on one hand, like me, I think people will probably enjoy this on the surface. Whereas on the other hand, there were some probably booking choices that were maybe wrong with this match, which I also thought as well. So I guess I, I sit on both camps in this one. I think Edge is fantastic. I actually thought Beth was pretty good in this match, despite all of the sort of botches that she made. Yeah, there was a bit of a communication error at the start with Rhea. Yeah, she was a little bit late on the sort of pinfall breakup, but I think she mattered to the story and she got involved, which I really liked. And on the flip side, I think with Rhea going on to WrestleMania to challenge Charlotte, I'm not sure she should have been on the losing side of this match, but... I mean, does it really matter? It was a mixed tag match. It was Edge and Beth Phoenix. I think it maybe matters more that they got one up on Judgment Day. But I don't know. Maybe that could have waited until Mania or maybe after WrestleMania. I don't really know. Unless this is all just to kind of put a bit of a ruse in and think, oh, Rhea got a defeat. She's not going to win the belt. And then she takes home the belt at WrestleMania. Not quite sure. A few things up in the air about WrestleMania there. I quite like that Beth and Rhea did lots of the heavy lifting in this match. I think if they could have worked out all their little kinks and mess ups, I think this could have been a really nice match. And especially if they went in to do a singles match after Rhea wins the belt, potentially. I don't know. I think they could have a nice little match there, but that's obviously TBC at the moment. Dominic, he was all over this match as well. Not always in a good way. There was a few rush spots. He blew the kind of the leg grab on Beth. But again, I didn't really care too much about the botches because Dom's getting heat. And people hate him, especially in Montreal. He's getting a real visceral reaction. And that's all I really care about. And I don't know where this leaves Edge, Beth and Finn Balor for WrestleMania. I don't know. Are they going to finally kill this feud between them? It's been going on for quite some time. It's been going on since, I don't know, since Judgment Day first formed. WrestleMania would be the best place to sell this. But with what happened in the Elimination Chamber, I mean, Edge is probably finished with Judgment Day, right? I mean, they got the win, unless Edge's final plan is to destroy Judgment Day once and for all. So I guess maybe with WrestleMania on the horizon, we could do some sort of gimmick match. Maybe we've got like Edge 
and Rey Mysterio with a retirement gimmick, something like that. If Judgment Day wins, those two retire from wrestling. If Rey and Edge wins, Judgment Day have to split up. I don't know. That makes it quite interesting. I mean, Edge and Rey are probably going to win, right? Because they're both not going to retire. But I don't know. It might add a little sprinkle of extra... I don't know, source on the WrestleMania match that is is to come, possibly. I mean, if Rhea wins the belt, this match doesn't really matter to her. It's not going to kill any other heat because she's awesome. What is it with the Edge and Beth Phoenix tag team name? Grit Couple? What kind of... That's... <laughs> I don't know. That was just a weird thing that I kind of picked up. Don't really get the name. Not really sure why they say it. It's just one of those I thought things. you just but made it up. I, guess I can't to... remember him saying it. But it, 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 no, yeah. Grit I kept saying it. I don't know. Grit couple. I think it's like, because wasn't the Miz and Maurice, they were the it couple. And these guys, oh, they got muscles and they work out. They smash logs and they're All gritty. Right. Grit couple. <laughs> Anyway, regardless, just to sum up my thoughts and feelings, I didn't hate the segment. I normally try and judge the match by how many times I got bored and how many times I looked at the phone to see if I had any notifications. It wasn't perfect when you look at the match and the amount of cool things that happened versus the botches. I thought the cool stuff outweighed it. The double powerbomb spot was quite cool. The glam slam on the outside looked brutal. Superplex was cool. The audience's vitriolic reaction to Dominic was superb. So I can see why people maybe thought this was a little bit too botchy and didn't quite go the way they wanted to it, booking-wise. But when I look at the things I liked, I thought the match was fine. What did you think, Jim? Yeah, I mean, it's all just zipped by, didn't it? I mean, I thought it would... I thought it'd seem a little bit more epic than it did, but it was just a mixed tag match. Beth Phoenix was very rusty. There were some mistakes made there, which, again, it doesn't really matter, especially if you've got a really hot crowd and love you. And they love, definitely love the team of Edge and Beth Phoenix. And they hated, absolutely, like you said, absolutely hated Dominic Mysterio. He seemed really to almost detract from the match in a good way because it wasn't as if anything usually interesting was going on. But it was getting so much heat, it was a distraction in a way from the match. The fuck you, Dominics, were ringing out loud and true. Edge didn't really seem to do much in it. He was just there. He did a bit of a shine and then came in at the end and did a few bits. And I think a lot of the mistakes came more from Beth Phoenix's side, again, just from ring rust. But from a wrestling purist match, it wasn't great, but the crowd loved it. Again, I think if that match would have been over in the States in front of a more harsh crowd, they probably would have. They probably would have pissed on it a little bit more. But yeah, I mean, I, it's, I'm a bit like you. I don't know where they could go from it now. The only thing that they can do is have Edge versus Dominic Mysterio for Mania, which could be a potential match, be interesting. But I would assume that the more interesting match would be Ray versus Dominic Mysterio, with like you say, maybe a retirement angle in it. So it's because I know Ray Mysterio is looking to retire. So maybe that's where they're going with it. And they maybe just needed to put a button on the Judgment Day thing a little bit earlier than planned. I don't mean put a button on the Judgment Day as a group, but I mean put just put a bit of a button on that angle. But when you consider what happened to Edge and Beth Phoenix to get to this point, and they virtually killed his wife, Edge had to sit there and watch and as they systematically beat his wife after death. And then this was the culmination of it wasn't particularly spectacular, really. I don't really have a great deal of time for Finn Balor. I don't really, he's not really my kind of, I don't, I don't know why, I just, no matter what he does, he just, he doesn't seem very interesting to me. I know he's technically very good and he looks great, but he's just one of those blokes who's 
a bit like Johnny Gargano for me. He's just got no facial expressions. and He just seems like a nice bloke you play pool with down the pub. He doesn't seem like the sort of guy who really poses much threat. Rhea Ripley, I love. I think she's amazing. And I think that she'll, she will one day probably be up there with Charlotte Flair as one of the greatest female wrestlers that has ever lived. But if you put a cap on the feud between Edge and the Judgment Day and Beth Phoenix, then great. But it doesn't seem to be much of a cap, seeing as how violent and horrible it was for them to get to this point, how long we had to wait. thought Edge and Beth looked great as a team, like aesthetically looked good. But yeah, it was just a, it was just a sort of again eleven, twelve minute mixed tag match. Shine, heat, shine, go home, and with a few botches in it. So that was essentially what the match was. And you, if you want to look any more into it and see if they can go anywhere from it, I can't really, I can't really see anywhere they could anything they can add on to it. And if that's it, over and done with. It's a bit of an anti-climax for me that one. Not to say that it was a bad match, but. Just an anti-climax, considering what it took to get there, if that makes sense. But yeah, I don't know. I had, didn't see Rule the day after, and I don't know what they're planning to do. So it all might make sense in the end. I'm just looking at it, and I suppose like you are, I'm looking at it based on what I've seen. And if that's it, then that's it. Job done. Yeah, I think when you think about it, it seemed like this was maybe the middle of the feud. You had kind of the early build-up with Edge being kind of eradicated from Judgment Day with Finn Balor taking over. And then you got the first kind of real kickoff of the rivalry there with the Extreme Rules with the I Quit match and then then introducing Beth Phoenix into this rivalry. This feels like the middle part of it. And I don't know where they can go with it because Rhea Ripley is going to wrestle at WrestleMania against Charlotte for the SmackDown Women's Championship. I would say if that hadn't have already happened, then it was going to be some sort of gimmick match match or like we're saying some sort of retirement split up angle don't know what it was going to be with again probably Finn Balor and Rhea Ripley versus Edge and Beth Phoenix which could work if they got the Wrestlemania stage behind it and all the pomp and circumstance and all the build up to it and then there's that final cap off moment like you mentioned where it's Judgment Day or bust or it's yeah Edge is going to retire something like that to actually put a definitive nail in the coffin of this rivalry between Edge and the Judgment Day but this didn't really feel like it, did it? It never really felt like things ended. It just felt like things were still going to carry on. Yeah, but exactly. And But how? Like, that's the thing. Because it, it, it just seemed to bookend on that night. Like, nothing, it didn't seem like they could go from anywhere. That, that I think that's where I'm looking at. And maybe on Brawl the next night, it all fucking kicked off again. I don't know. But someone has got to get their hands on Dominic Mysterio at some point because they're so, the crowd are so white hot to see him. I mean, to be honest with you, what what wouldn't have hurt in that match would have been a little bit more a little I mean I don't understand why Dominic Mysterio couldn't have got a spear at the end as well because that would the fucking the roof would have gone off the place do you know what I mean and that then that leaves an angle open to or if Ray couldn't have come out and started something like if Dominic Mysterio needs to get his comeuppance and that crowd just it just seemed like the perfect place not to fucking kill Dominic Mysterio or to do something or for it seemed like the sort of place to, for Dominic Mysterio to take a bump or to get more heat maybe at the end or it, the crowd just fucking hated Dominic Mysterio and for him just to hang around on the outside and be involved in a few little bits which inevitably ended up ending up turning into nothing it just seemed like a bit of a waste the whole match just seemed like a little bit of a waste and if it's the middle of the feud and then something amazing comes from it then we're wrong and we'll when we do our next review we'll go oh that's why they did it but at the moment, at that particular time when I was watching that match, 
I was sitting there thinking when everyone come out and everyone looked fucking cool. Rhea Ripley looks amazing. Finn Balor, even though I don't particularly like him, I can see that people do or hate him or whatever. Dominic Mysterio is getting the whole fuck you, Dominic. It's great. Edge and Beth look amazing together. This match is going to be cool. I'm really looking forward to this. Let's sit down and watch this. Oh, that was it. And just a little bit anticlimactic for me. That was all. Not saying it was bad, but I'm just not saying it was good. And if that's the end of everything, then it's ended a bit flat for me personally. That's all. Edge said that this is going to be his last year. So maybe he's got a few other people that he wants to work before he retires. So maybe they need to put a cap on it so Edge can go and do his merry little thing. That might have been one of his fantasy things to do, to mix tag with his wife, which he's added the opportunity to do now. Now maybe they'll service him by letting him wrestle someone else at Mania. Who knows what the deal is with it, really. We will wait and find out at WrestleMania what the plans are going to be for Edge and the Judgment Day. But then the Elimination Chamber rolled on with another Elimination Chamber match. This was for the WWE United States title. We had Seth Rollins, Johnny Gargano, Bronson Reed, Montez Ford, Damian Priest and Austin Theory. So the crowd is buzzing with anticipation. The WWE United States champion Austin Theory enters first ready to defend his title against a fierce roster of opponents. Tez Force then strides into the arena, red solo cup in hand. Theory talks some trash, but Ford just smirks and enters his pod ready to bring the heat. Bronson Reed is up next, pointing menacingly at Theory before striking his pose in the ring. Damien Priest arrives solo, wearing a regal crown of thorns and taking in the surroundings before making his entrance. He stops to pose for the cameras and makes eye contact with his opponents before stepping into his pod. Johnny Gargano bursts onto the scene and makes a beeline for the ring. He even takes a moment to bump Ford's pod with a fist bump there just to know what he's up against and finally Seth Rollins makes his grand entrance as the crowd sings his theme and he revels in the adoration locked inside the chamber Rollins and Gargano kick things off the excitement heightened by the fans rousing rendition of Rollins theme I thought this was really cool they circle each other wearingly exchanging holds and counters on the mat Gargano misses a kick Rollins misses a stomp as they continue their little back and forth there in a flash Austin Theory bursts onto the scene, dropping Gargano with a punishing high knee before tossing Rollins into the steel. He grinds Gargano's face into the wall relentlessly and works over Rollins, stomping him into submission. Theory sends Gargano hurtling into a pod and then revels in the jeers of the crowd. With his opponents reeling, Theory seizes the moment, rocking Rollins with a devastating side slam and dropping Gargano onto the steel with a thud. Theory finds himself under the fire from both Rollins and Gargano as they unleash a flurry of punches. The combined assault sends Theory reeling and he quickly attempts to turn Gargano against Rollins, but the former won't be fooled and drops Theory to the mat, eliciting cheers from the crowd. Seeing no other option, Theory locks himself inside a pod, but Gargano is hot on his heels trying to get inside. Meanwhile, Seth Rollins takes advantage of the situation with the other side of the door open and attacks Theory inside the pod, delivering a relentless beatdown now with Theory trapped. Rollins and Gargano unite and unleash a devastating double-team attack and batter Theory inside that chamber pod. I thought this was a really cool moment. I enjoyed that one. As the timer counts down, Damien Priest enters the ring with a flurry of strong offense, targeting both Rollins and Gargano in opposite corners. Priest hits a broken arrow on Gargano before flying towards Rollins, who boots him in midair. However, Priest quickly recovers and drops Rollins face first with an inverted ball bulldog type thing, follows up by a big flat liner on Gargano for the near fall. 
Rollins executes a tremendous superplex and then the Falcon Arrow combo on Priest but only manages to get a near fall. The countdown begins once more and Bronson Reed makes his way into the ring. Reed flattens Theory on the steel on the outside and then enters and clotheslines both Rollins and Gargano. Reed continues to pummel Rollins and Gargano simultaneously placing Gargano on the top rope and hoisting him onto his shoulders with Rollins already there. Reed marches around with both superstars on his shoulders before executing a massive double Samoan drop with uh, Rollins just managing to kick out of the uh, the pinfall there. Priest and Reed exchange strikes before Reed lands a headbutt and a massive German suplex on Priest throwing him into the steel backwards. Reed drops Theory and executes a flying shoulder tackle before launching Theory into the pod. As the timer goes off, Montez Ford is the final entrant into the chamber match, unleashes high impact offense beginning with Austin Theory. Ford nails a spine buster in the center of the ring, the spine on the pine, and this gets a massive reaction from the crowd. Ford then imitates the rock for the people's elbow, but Reed intercepts him before he can execute it on Austin Theory. Theory attempts to scoop Reed up onto his shoulders. A big feat there, but Reed evades and lands a ripcord power slam. This looked really cool as well. Gargano attacks Reed with kicks, and Reed responds by putting Gargano in an electric chair drop. Rollins springboards in with a clothesline to knock Johnny Gargano off of Reed's shoulders, but Gargano reverses it into a reverse poison rana on Reed as he falls down. And at this point, I thought we'd witnessed Johnny Gargano break his spine in half. It was a really frightening moment here in the Elimination Chamber match, but upon seeing the replay, he actually managed to escape unscathed, thankfully. This is a really scary moment there. Montez Ford climbs the chamber to avoid Priest and Reed. He climbs and eventually reaches the top. He hangs upside down from the roof before leaping down and lands on all the other superstars in the ring. The fans go absolutely wild that they start chanting holy shit, more swear words across this Elimination Chamber event here. Undeter the trio of Gargano, Rollins and Ford triple Super kick Bronson Reed. Gargano then delivers the final beat, followed by Rollins Stomp and Ford's top rope splash. Ford covers Reed for the pinfall, and Bronson Reed is eliminated from this match. Rollins and Gargano are now on top of the same pod, just chilling out there, catching their breath. They then start fighting. Rollins slams Gargano's head into the glass, while Priest and Theory fight below. Rollins attempts a powerbomb off the top of the pod, but Gargano counters and launches him down below with the Hurricanrana. Fans again chanting holy shit and another moment where I thought Johnny Gargano might have died. This dude has got nine lives. He's like a cat or something. But those nine lives quickly run out as Priest eliminates Gargano with the uh, Razor's Edge powerbomb. Rollins attempts a pedigree. Priest blocks it and strikes him with another jumping kick. Ford climbs up to the top of the pod, but Priest intercepts him with a blow. Priest then climbs up to the top turnbuckle, but Rollins is, he puts him in the powerbomb position before Rollins can execute that powerbomb. Ford jumps off and hits a blockbuster on Priest to knock him off of Rollins' shoulders. Ford then takes advantage of the situation and covers Priest for the pinfall, resulting in Damien Priest's elimination. Now we're down to three. Theory, Rollins and Ford are left in the match Theory cannot execute the ATL on Ford and uh, Ford hits a Uranagi. Ford goes to the top rope for a big splash but Theory gets his knees up. Rollins lands a stomp on Ford on the steel and Theory takes advantage by pinning Montez Ford to eliminate him from the match. And of course the fans direct their chance of you suck towards Austin Theory who just uh, he just laps it up. 
Rollins and Theory engage in a fight and Rollins executes a Liger bomb for the two count. Meanwhile, Ford remains incapacitated on the floor inside the chamber. The referees open up the chamber and come in for additional support for Montez Ford. He looks in dire straits there. Rollins stands waiting for Theory to rise. Theory evades the stomp but misses the ATL. Rollins performs a pedigree, then waits for Theory to stand up once more. Suddenly, Logan Paul enters the chamber through the open door. Logan Paul attacks Rollins and has an exchange with the referee. Logan Paul then seems to double back to deliver the stomp to Rollins before exiting the chamber and slamming the chamber door shut. Theory rises, executes the ATL on Rollins for the pin and retains his United States Championship. Jimmy, you got any thoughts before I jump in with mine? I mean, I enjoyed this Elimination Chamber match much more than I enjoyed the females. <clears throat> Even though I think it lacked, still lacked a little bit of star power and just through a few things that I heard previously before the match, I, I knew that Austin Theory was going to win. Mainly because I sensed that uh, Seth Rollins was going to face Logan Paul, so I didn't think there needed to be a title involved in that. I didn't think any of the other guys really needed the title or were ready for the title. And also, I heard just beforehand that John Cena is probably going to be wrestling Austin Fury at WrestleMania, so maybe that match would be more interesting with the title. So I had an idea that Austin Theory was going to retain, which didn't really, I mean, I didn't know because I didn't look up the results before I watched the match. Some cool high spots. I don't, I, John, Johnny Gargano could do the most impressive moves in the world for me. I just don't think he's got that star power. I don't really like him. I don't really get on with his work. For some reason, I don't know. He'll do these really cool fucking things and then he'll do a really wafty shit kick. I don't like his work. It's a touch to it indie for me. And it shows when he's wrestling guys like Seth Rollins and Austin Theory, who are really, really fucking good. Seth Rollins is amazing. Austin Theory is amazing. He did some really cool things. And Austin Theory is not just an amazing wrestler. He looks amazing. His work is amazing far beyond his years. Damian Priest put a good shift in. I think Damian Priest does things that are a little bit, things that you shouldn't do for his size. If you get kicked by someone the size of Damian Priest, then as a as a wrestler and in the realms of psychology, especially a guy the size of, say, a Johnny Gargano or whoever, should really fucking be taken out by that. But Priest does too many sort of weird little wafty kicks and strikes for me. He's still very good, though. I still like him. I was incredibly impressed by Bronson Reed. It's the first time I've really seen him, probably, actually put a bit of a shift in. And I think that he had a really good accounting for himself. And again, I, he's the sort of guy that the WWE would like. I can see him being a star in the future. I can see him really, really going far. And again, not only does he look cool and look like he can kick your ass, he's also extremely agile for his size and is a really good athlete. So it's a lot more fun than the first Elimination Chamber match. Some cool spots. Montez Ford, very athletic, very agile. And he seems to have put on a bit of size too. He seems to obviously be the breakaway star from the Street Profits. And again, there's potential for him too. It was just one of those things where I think the match was very good. It was much better than the first Elimination Chamber match. There were some spots I hadn't seen before. I just knew he was going to win by process of elimination. So again, that takes a lot of the excitement and near falls out for me. But then, like I said, I wasn't 100% sure. So I can only just, it was what it was. I thought Logan Paul was going to turn up. I love Logan Paul for the amount of time he's been doing it. I think he's he's the sort of person that as a wrestler, I would disdain from being a part of wrestling. He's, a, he's just a social fucking media YouTuber, influencer guy. 
But as a promoter, I'm like, no, fucking have him. He's amazing. The eyes he brings on the product. Plus, he seems to be pretty amazing at what he does and picking the fucking business up very quickly. It's amazing. And I think that he could have a show stealer of a match with someone experienced like Seth Rollins at WrestleMania. So I'm excited to see that match. It just seemed to be a lot more going on in this one. And even though there wasn't as much star power, the guys that were in it seemed to come off a little bit better for being in the match. And there was a lot more to keep you gripped and interested. I don't think it was, a, you know, by any stretch of the imagination, the best Elimination Chamber match I've ever seen. In fact, I think that probably the Elimination Chamber matches took a backseat to the main event, but how couldn't it really? But it was good. It was a good Chamber match with some good spots and plenty of stuff coming off of it at the end of it that made just more excited for WrestleMania, which is what this Elimination Chamber pay-per-view really is meant to make you do. It's meant to make you sort of think to yourself, fuck me, what's going to happen at Mania? Or shit, this match is going to happen at Mania and this makes me more excited to watch a product to see what's going to happen between now and Mania. So yeah, it was, it did its job and I thought it was very good. Yeah, I think much like you, I anticipated what the end result was going to be, but I did have a little bit in there when it was down to the final two with Rollins and Theory. I thought, okay, I know Rollins is going to go on to face Logan Paul at WrestleMania, but what if they put the US title on Rollins and then do some sort of crazy switch at WrestleMania? Logan Paul beats Rollins because we know that Rollins doesn't care about wins and losses. He's always just going to be super over. He's got a job there for life, I'm sure. And then think of how many more eyes are going to be put on that product when Logan Paul goes on his YouTube channel, goes on his Instagram stories and reels and highlights and stuff. And he's got that US title belt, which is an awful belt. Maybe you can redesign it. That would be great. I wish he would. But that was the only reason that I could see the title changing hands within the chamber. And I didn't know the stuff about the potential match between Austin Theory and John Cena at WrestleMania. So that makes it really interesting as well. I think regardless whether Austin Theory had the belt, I think him versus Cena at WrestleMania could be a pretty fantastic match. And yeah, I'm sure that uh, Logan Paul and Seth Rollins at WrestleMania will be a pretty good match as well because we know how great Seth Rollins is and he'll be able to pull Logan Paul through that match. Who, Yeah, I, I hate the guts of the guy, but I do agree with you. I can understand why they're using him. He's getting millions and millions of eyes on the product each and every day. He's a massive star when it comes to that sort of thing. He knows how to sell himself. He knows how to sell merch. He knows how to garner that attention on social media. And I can imagine Triple H is sitting there thinking whatever I'm paying him is still not enough for the amount of interactions that we're going to get, especially heading into WrestleMania as well. So those are all my thoughts on Seth Rollins and uh, Logan Paul, as much as I hate the guy. Yeah, very, very untalented. And this match did, it actually achieved a lot more for the losers in this match comparing to the ladies chamber match. Like I thought Bronson Reed, he got a nice bit of a chance to shine. It took all the other guys finishes to take him out. I would have liked to have seen more from him, but it's not his time. He's still being introduced to the WWE audience. People still don't know him. So there's going to be a lot of time to, to really build him up as a monster. Of course, Montez Ford had a really great showing in this match not just in terms of like his crazy athletic stuff but just the energy levels his charisma is just out the wazoo and I just feel bad for his tag team partner who must have been watching this backstage knowing from that moment that Montez Ford is the Shawn Michaels and that just means that Dawkins is the Marty Giannetti and when people figure out who is the highlight reel of a certain tag team you can't really go on past that, can you? When you can see the standout star, and it's clearly going to be Montez Ford from the Street Profits. 
poor old Dawkins, I don't know what's going to happen to him, whether he can cling on to that a little bit longer or whether Ford burns bright and dies out pretty fast. I don't know. Um, Johnny Gargano clearly has some sort of death wish. I thought he kind of shined in the match, unlike what you thought, but maybe that's because you just don't like him at all. I thought him and Seth worked really well together at the beginning. It was kind of some nice sort of snappy chain wrestling, a little bit of lucha in there as well. I thought that was great. Austin Theory, as we've mentioned, he's just fantastic. Right. He's good. I mean, I'm not saying he's a bad wrestler. I'm just saying that I'm just, I think he's, in fact, he's a very, he's a fantastic accomplished wrestler. But just for me personally, I just, I wouldn't buy a ticket to see him. And I don't know why. I don't know why I don't like him. It's odd because there's nothing really not to like about him. I just don't know why I don't like him. And it's not the whole Jim Cornette thing because I know he calls him Johnny Same Face and he's pretty fucking, he's pretty ruthless with him. And I don't think he's, I don't think he's that bad. He'll do things like, He'll put an amazing shift in in a rumble or he'll have a great war games match or he'll do, like you said, put a great shift in in an elimination chamber match. But if I was to turn on a pay-per-view and see, I don't know, Johnny Gargano against The Miz, I wouldn't give two fucks about it. Do you know what I mean? I just don't have, I just don't have any desire to watch him and I don't know why. I don't know why. Yeah, maybe I'm looking at him from a purely kind of work rate point of view. I, I love the way he wrestles and stuff, but I can see when you look at his face, he does look a little bit kind of dead behind the eyes. And you mentioned it when we were talking about the match before as well with Finn Balor. There's that sort of, you can see there's something waiting to come out, but they probably don't have that kind of, I don't know, charisma or character behind them to really push them forward into the forefront. And that's maybe why Finn Balor always did the demon thing with the makeup and the gimmick and stuff, because it helped him enhance his character. Maybe that's what Johnny Gargano needs, because we know he can wrestle. He's clearly a very good, accomplished wrestler. He can do the indie stuff. He can do the high-flying stuff. He can do the crazy risk-taking stuff. It was evident in this match. But yeah, there's nothing behind him to really go, oh, that guy's a standout star. When you contrast that with Austin Theory, who in this match had all the facials. There was never a moment where he forgot who he was. 100% of the match, he tried and succeeded in being the heeliest character out there. He didn't want to do like cool stuff. He didn't want to get clapped. He just wanted to be the most hated guy in the match. And that's what I love about like certain types of heels. There are heels out there who go out there and do flashy things and want to get cheered. And I don't like that. I like stuff like Austin Theory. He goes out there and just wants to annoy people. And as much as Bronson Reed was a kind of big, monster killer you just couldn't compare it to what theory was doing he would have his really cocky moments and but then he would be a weasel and a coward and then he would also be an opportunist and a sneaky bugger and i just i just love that sort of stuff because i think there's nothing worse than like a tweener or a cool heel sometimes it can work but i think when you're just a down dirty hated heel like dominic mysterio and you're getting that guttural reaction from the crowd especially in montreal i think it's just great and he's probably going to be a major player in wwe is he going to be the next john cena could he be the next randy orton i think so i think he's that good and i think there's only upside to him depending on the booking on the other hand there's damian priest i thought he was probably the most forgettable person in this match like you, he's got a good look, does some cool moves, but I just, I don't know. I just can't get behind him. But this, this is exactly the same as what you were just saying. This really totally fucking, this totally backs up your point. Austin Theory, like, came in there and he was very clever about the moves he did when he did them. His facials were on point. 
the stuff he was saying in the ring, you could hear it on camera. So you knew when he was trying to get people to team up with him and help him. You knew what he was thinking. You knew exactly where he was. And like you said, he wasn't afraid to play that sort of chicken shit heel type thing. Damien Priest is a heel. Same thing. He's big. He's huge. There's no reason he shouldn't have a fucking huge presence in that ring. But he just doesn't have one. And I think it's because he tries to do too much for his size. There's no reason he needs to do as much as he does. Now, he doesn't strike me as the sort of chicken shit kind of big selling heel that an Austin Theory would be. But he still doesn't need to be doing as much as he does. And he needs to be focusing more on that presence because the guy's six for seven, six for eight, whatever the fuck he is. And he does too much, and which makes him blend in with everyone else and makes him instantly forgettable. So it's all, to me, that backs up entirely what you're saying. You've got a fucking superstar in, in and almost way beyond his years, expert in psychology, in Austin Theory, who knows exactly what he wants to achieve and just needs more experience to, to achieve it and be one of the best in the business. And then you've got someone with all the tools as well. And fuck, I've forgotten his name. Tall guy. Damien Priest? Yeah, Damien Priest, which we were just talking about. Like Damien Priest, like we were just talking about that. So Damien Priest has got all the tools as well, but he just doesn't know how to place him. He's, even though he's in the ju- Judgment Day and he's been given a role in that particular faction and he's got a look, he still doesn't know what he is. And you can tell that. You can tell the massive difference between him, Johnny Gargano, and Austin Theory and Seth Rollins. Two people who have got, in Austin Theory and Seth Rollins, who have got the charisma just fucking pouring out of every fucking, every orifice in their body. Damian Priest, Johnny Gargano, who've got all the tools, but just don't know who they are. And that's such an important thing for any aspiring wrestler out there. If you don't know who you are and know what fucking you're trying to achieve, then you're really gonna. Then no matter what you can do, you're really gonna fucking struggle to to find your place within a card. Yeah, I completely agree. And when you compare like a Damian Priest to someone like a, a Bronson Reed in this match, obviously Bronson Reed was the biggest guy in this match, but he wrestled like he was a big guy. He was picking multiple people up. He was doing some cool stuff. He did the big shoulder tackle off the top rope, which looked impressive, but he wasn't doing indie moves, nip ups, these side kicks, jumping head kicks, Pele kicks and stuff like that. And that's where I think I fall off with Damian Priest. Like, good look, Got some cool moves, but I just can't get behind. Like, what is it with these giant dudes, like, pulling off roundhouse kicks and stuff? And, like, they're not really connecting. just want to see a big guy. You know, if, if what you're saying is true there, if he's six foot seven, he's got a fair bit of size on him. He's got a great look. I love his hair. I love his look. I love his outlook. I just want to see him just lump through somebody with a straight big boot, not a leaping spin kick. I don't know. Leave those to like a Johnny Gargano. Leave those to Seth Rollins. They can do them. Even Montez Ford, they can do them. Just run through a guy with a massive kick and stand there and look impressive. Why are you trying to do like a weird flippy kind of kick that everybody else does anyway, but you're not doing it as good as them. So you just don't look as good as the other guys. So, I don't know, you're just, you're just killing your whole thing. And I think that's the weird thing with wrestlers like that. They have an idea in their head of who they want to be, and then they look in the mirror and go, oh, I'm not that person, but I can still do those things, so I should still do them, right? And that's not always the case. And I've been in your wrestling school for almost 10 years, Jim, and you always say that to people. Just because you can do it, doesn't mean you should do it. If you are a 25 stone man who's six foot tall, but can do a moonsault, 
don't do a moonsault because it'll kill your character. Maybe pull it out of the bag once in a while. But if you do it week in and week out and people get used to it, it's just another big guy just doing a moonsault and it doesn't mean anything. I mean, I'm not too far off the mark here, right? Exactly. Yeah. And what does it? And, and the fucking guy who's the Lucha Libre guy, who, who, the high flying match that you got on, when they do their moonsaults, it's, it's just gonna it's gonna mean less. It's just gonna mean less. And every wrestler in that match could have had very defined, very clear roles as to who they are, what they did, and what they brought to the match. But when it all just blends into one thing, everyone just becomes forgettable and the only people you end up remembering are the guys with the character so you might remember Montez Ford I think that he had enough character I think that you might remember him you definitely remember Seth Rollins and you definitely remember fucking Austin Theory like you say the rest of the guys Bronson Reed you made a point of saying he didn't really wasn't really in there enough and by the time the match had finished he'd been out too long to for you to really remember him but he is one I think to look out for I just think Damien Priest has missed his boat. He's got every tool in the box. He's even got a really cool voice. He even sounds like a character off Mortal Kombat. He just, like you said, rather than choosing what he should do, he's doing everything he can do. And it's not working for him. He's lost me a little bit. And that's not to say that he can't get it back. Of course he can. And it's not to say that I might be wrong. And we might be wrong. And everyone might love Damien Priest, but... To me, it was he was just another bloke in an elimination chamber when really, actually, he was the tallest guy there, the guy who should have had the most power in terms of his striking ability and stuff. Not in terms of his strength, that should have been Bronson Reed, but he could have brought a very specific role to that elimination chamber, which we could have remembered him for. And I think that sometimes, especially within these multi-man matches, what maybe they should sit there and get together as a group and think about, okay, what can we all bring to the match that's going to be different? And let's try and show it off and get everyone's character over within that match. But I don't know, that's just, that's my philosophy on wrestling. I think that you cannot turn around and say that characters do not matter because the match we're about to talk about in a minute or two, like, of course the fucking characters and the storylines matter. Of course they do because... That was why the main event was so fucking fantastically amazing and had so much hype behind it because of stories and character. It wasn't because of a fucking... They, they, no one was sitting there going, oh, I really want... I can't wait to watch this match because I really want to see, see Sammy hit his fucking beluga <laughs> kick or whatever the fuck it's called. I don't give two fucks about that. Do you know what I mean? It's about the characters, that whole fucking bloodline story, which has lasted a year and just how fucking cool and amazing it's been. And and how someone like Damien Priest and these guys can't just watch this and see this and fucking try and emulate it and achieve it is beyond me. They're, they're there. They're in the fucking show. They're, they're, they're part of it all. They must be able to see what's working. Fucking try and make it work in your favour as well, you know? All right, without blowing our load too much, do you want to get into this main event, Jim? You've already given it away that you loved it, but how much yeah. did you love it? Should we get into it? I said I love the characters. I didn't say I love the match. But yeah, but we can. Oh. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Okey Just to cap off at the end of that match, I thought the right man won on the night. I look forward to seeing what Theory can do at WrestleMania because as we remember when he wrestled Pat McAfee last year, one of the most entertaining segments in, in WrestleMania 38, right? Yeah, that was when Austin came out as well on McMahon and everyone was involved in that. Was that the one? Yeah, that was cool as fuck. It was great. 
And that was a year ago. And Austin Theory's matured a lot since then. He even looks older. He looks better. He looks more badass. He's, I think he's probably in better shape. And yeah, he's proved that he does have all the tools. And I think that there's no reason that, yeah, whatever he does in WrestleMania shouldn't be a very valuable contribution. And I will, I would be willing a better tenor, but I think you probably agree with me. But I'd be willing to bet a tenor that not this WrestleMania, obviously, but next year's WrestleMania, that he'll be wrestling for one of the titles. Should we put a bet on it? All right, we'll put up, what, a five. Or so. We'll do a five about a five. I say he is. I'll say he will be. He'll be wrestling for either. I don't know whether there'll be a unit. It'll be still be united <laughs> or whatever. But for one of the either the WWE title or the Universal title or both of them together, I think he'll be wrestling for it next WrestleMania. All right, remind me in two years' time and we'll settle yeah, that bet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you'll say, yeah, I told you you would be. Give me a five. <laughs> yeah, I'll just... Uh, it, was 50, it was 50 quid, wasn't it? <laughs> exactly. Anyway, so we moved on to the main event of the evening, the WWE Universal Championship match. Roman Reigns is accompanied by Paul Heyman. And as soon as Roman Reigns' music hits, the arena is filled with deafening Booze together with Heyman, the tribal chief, and his advisor make their way to the ring, pausing at ringside to savor the negative reception. Even before Sammy's music starts, the crowd begin to chant and sing ole, 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 ole for their hometown hero. Reigns looks unhappy, but they continue to wait and they drew this out and it was great. It was fantastic. And I was a little bit worried because I was like, actually, why are they having the champion come out first? But this just made total sense because when Sammy Zayn's music hits he emerges to just a giant ovation he takes the time to soak in the atmosphere he hugs his wife before making his way into the ring he just seems completely overwhelmed by this whole experience but still had that kind of 100% laser focus because he is a consummate professional and knew that he was never gonna get so overwhelmed by the experience and after all the formalities they size each other up Sammy taunts and smiles at range, which irritates him. The crowd start chanting F.U. Roman again. Sammy's playing it up to the crowd, finally. They lock up in the middle of the ring. Roman puts Sammy in a headlock. Reigns drops Sammy with a shoulder, raises his one finger to the crowd. Of course, this gets a massive reaction because this whole match was just one giant big reaction and it was cool. Reigns continues to use the headlock, but Zayn manages to toss Rain over the top rope to the floor. Sammy then runs the rope, leaps and takes the Roman Reigns out with a dive to the floor, causing his wife and fans at ringside to go absolutely wild. Zayn brings Reigns back into the ring, works him over in the corner, lands a series of right hands and the fans count along. He then drops Roman Reigns with an elbow off the top, goes for a pin attempt. He's only able to get the one. Zayn then tries to attack Roman in the corner again, leaping off the second rope, but this time Roman Reigns rocks him in mid-air. Reigns then takes the fight to the floor, works Zayn over by sending him into the barrier and taunts the fans at ringside, especially Sami Zayn's wife, really bringing that emotion into this match. Despite landing a knife-edge chop, Sami Zayn's attack has no effect on Roman Reigns, who responds with a right hand that drops Sami Zayn. Sami retaliates with more chops, but Reigns quickly overpowers him and drops him to the mat. 
Reigns then takes the times taunting and mocking Sami Zayn. He even directs his insults to Sami Zayn's wife saying, he did this. I was going to give him everything. I was going to give you guys everything. But look how he betrayed me. I'm the tribal chief. Just great stuff. Great character work here by Roman Reigns. Finally, Sami rallies and fights back, taking Reigns to the floor, gives him a taste of his own medicine. Sami rolls Reigns back into the ring, goes for a high risk move from the top rope, but Reigns catches him with a big right hand. Sami manages to recover and hits a sunset powerbomb for a near fall, leaving Reigns reeling. However, Reigns quickly regains control and drives Sammy down to the mat before taunting him and preparing uh, to deliver the finishing blow. Reigns signals for the Superman punch, but Sammy catches him and delivers an exploder suplex into the corner turnbuckle. Zayn runs towards Reigns with the, uh, not the beluga kick, but the haluva kick, but Reigns counters with a Superman punch. Sammy Zayn manages to kick out. Reigns then tries to finish off the match with a spear but Zayn evades it and rolls him up for another near fall it's getting really tense at this point Zayn seizes the moment executes another exploded suplex in the corner he then mocks Roman Reigns by calling for the Superman punch hits it on him follows it up with the halluva kick however Reigns still manages to kick out in the nick of time this was an awesome moment here where I was holding my breath thinking can he do it can he do it he cannot do it unfortunately Reigns takes a break by rolling out of the ring. Zayn follows him out, tries to attempt his tornado DDT through the ring ropes there. He's caught by Roman Reigns and slams him down. Roman runs around the ring towards Sami Zayn. I'm thinking, all right, they're going to do the spear through the barrier again. But Sami Zayn evades the attack and sends Reigns crushing through the ringside barrier there. Zayn then takes Reigns back into the ring and Reigns misses a Superman punch leading to Zayn hitting the blue thunder bomb for another massive two count here. It was almost it. We all almost had a new universal WWE undisputed champion, whatever they call it these days. And after Reigns is knocked down, Zayn pumps up the crowd. They engage in a physical struggle with Reigns shoving Zayn into the corner, but this causes the referee also to get caught up in the turnbuckles. Roman Reigns hits Zayn with some more back elbows, but unintentionally takes out the referee as well. Zayn takes the advantage, delivers another halluva kick, but the referee is down and unable to make the count. Fans count to 10. They get there, but the referee remains motionless. Sami Zayn and the whole of Montreal are sitting there in disbelief. Suddenly, Jimmy Uso storms into the ring and hits Zayn with a bunch of super kicks. Jimmy climbs to the top rope and lands a massive Uso splash on Sami Zayn, then places Reigns on top of him. Another referee comes down to make the count. One, two, Sami Zayn manages to kick out, which shocks everyone. The crowd goes wild again. We've got Heyman on the outside. His eyes are absolutely bugging out. He goes under the ring, retrieves a steel chair, which he hands to Roman Reigns. Suddenly, Jay Uso appears in the ring, standing between Reigns and Sami Zayn. Reigns confronts Jay and hands him the chair, but Jay refuses to take it. Fans start chanting no as Zayn lies on the ropes, barely able to look up. Jay takes the chair from Reigns and as Reigns kneels down to taunt Zayn, Jay positions himself behind Roman Reigns with the chair, echoing what happened at the Royal Rumble. What are we going to see here? Heyman urges Jay to hit Zayn, but it's unclear what's going to happen right now. And as Jay Uso refuses to attack Sami Zayn with the steel chair, Reigns takes the chair from him and slaps him before pushing him aside. Zayn charges towards Roman Reigns, but Roman sidesteps and Zayn accidentally spears Jay, knocking him out of the ring. 
Oh, lots of action here. Rain seizes the opportunity to attack Zayn with the steel chair, striking him repeatedly on the back. The audience boos as Zayn writhes in pain and his wife and family look on distressed. Finally, Roman Reigns throws the chair aside and goes for the kill. Zayn struggles to get to his feet, but Reigns waits patiently in the corner like a predator stalking its prey. Zayn eventually rises, groggy and unsteady, and Reigns delivers a thunderous spear that nearly splits Sami Zayn in half. The referee slides back in and counts the pinfall as Reigns covers Zayn to retain his WWE Universal Championship there. After Reigns successfully retains his championship title against Sami Zayn, the camera captures the looks and shock and disappointment on the fans in the arena in Montreal. Jimmy Uso re-enters the ring and attacks Sami Zayn. Then Kevin Owens' music hits. The hometown hero Owens enters the arena to a massive ovation from the crowd. Jimmy meets Owens on the entranceway and they begin to brawl. Owens quickly gains the upper hand, dropping Jimmy and sending him into the barrier. Owens stares Reigns down before rushing into the ring and tackling him to the ground. He unleashes a flurry of punches on Reigns before delivering a stunner to him. Jimmy rushes back into the ring. Owens ducks and delivers another stunner, knocking Jimmy out of the ring. Fans go wild as Owens puts Jimmy through the announce table with a pop-up powerbomb. Owens approaches Reigns, but Heyman enters the ring and begins to attack Owens from behind. This was a hilarious moment. Owens turns around and Paul Heyman is just pleading with him. Obviously, Owens responds with another stunner, sending Heyman to the ground. As Owens turns back to Reigns in the corner, Zayn's back on his feet and the crowd start chanting, ole, 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 ole. Zayn hits uh, Roman Reigns with a halluva kick there. This was an epic encounter. And Jim, I'll let you jump in right now while I catch my breath on this one. What did you think of this main event at Elimination Chamber, mate? Oh, I mean, I just thought it was amazing. I The energy from the crowd, the work from both guys, I mean, Ultimate bad guy, ultimate good guy. Amazing work from Paul Heyman. The match was structured beautifully. I mean, it wasn't an over overly complicated match for, say, like 20 minutes of it. Obviously, the last five minutes was utter chaos or last seven minutes was utter chaos with the pinfalls and the referee bumps and things like that. But I think that's what it needed to be to create the excitement. And again, we all knew that Roman Reigns was going to win, but we all wanted Sammy to be in with a chance. Obviously, thinking about it clearly and then thinking about the way things are probably going to go for WrestleMania and the way that you really do need to see Cody versus Reigns. You, you knew it wasn't going to happen, but I think the WWE did an absolutely amazing job of making you believe that Sami Zayn was going to potentially somehow win the title from Roman here. And this is, to me, this is wrestling at its best when there's no thing, there's no other kind of entertainment on earth that can make people feel the way wrestling does when it's done correctly. And that was just done beautifully. Roman Reigns was so good in that match. The shit he was saying and saying to Sami Zayn and saying to the crowd when he was fucking working the heat over on Sami Zayn, he was trying to convince his wife that we I wanted us to be a family. I wanted us all to be a family. He ruined this. He fucked this up. It was the stuff he was saying was amazing. And the selling from Sami Zayn was just, it was just perfect. I was trying to look for, I mean, aside from saying it was just amazing and gripping from start to finish. I was trying to think of some bad things, really. And I think that there was only maybe one or two things. Maybe the finish was a touch overbooked, a touch two ref bumps. But again, 
I can see why they did it. I get obviously I know why that um it's G- it's Jimmy Uso, isn't it? Who's Sami Zayn's sort of friend or who can see or is that Jay? Which we could, I, I think it's Jay. Friend. I think J- Jimmy was the guy that came down and attacked Sami Zayn and then Jay Jimmy's Uso the one was the with the long, long red the hair and Jay's the one with the short hair, right? That's right, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, okay, so Jay Uso is sort of half on Zayn. Well he was before he got speared. So I could see why the spear was in there and whatnot. The only thing that I didn't particularly like about the finish, and I don't know if it was a mistake or whatever. But, like, you've got two ref bumps. So the two refs are down. So we know that Roman can cheat. We know that Roman can take that chair and beat the fuck out of Sammy till he's, till he's absolutely fucking dead and then hit him with a spear. But the thing I didn't particularly like was he, he beat the fuck out of Sammy's aim half to death and then hit the spear. And the ref was right in there with the one, two, three. Now, the ref would have been able to see the chair shots. So why wouldn't a ref have disqualified? This is just me psychology-wise. Why is he coming in and counting? Why is he coming in and counting that pin? It's not like he would have only seen the spear. He might have only seen the spear if they'd have waited 30 seconds for a ref to come down, but they didn't. The ref was literally there. He was there for that spear finish at the end. So he would have seen the chair shots. That is the only weakness in the psychology and the execution of the match. I can think of, but I'm really having to dig deep here. I love Paul Heyman in it. The shit he was saying when he knew he was fucked and he was about to get a stunner and he was looking at Kevin Owens and saying, I love you. I hate him. And he's pointing at Roman Reigns. I hate him. I've never wanted to follow him. I've always loved you. And (laughs) shit like that. It's just brilliant. Just a shit sniffling little fucking coward heel thing to say. And then bang, he gets a stunner. And for a big fat old bastard, he didn't even take it that bad. Like it was cool. The match was just wrestling. It's what wrestling is supposed to be. For me, it's the highest level of storytelling. And the match was executed so well. And everyone did so amazing. And the fucking crowd was so up for it. It probably was as a spectacle. And just energy-wise, I couldn't take my eyes off of it. And it's one of those things that restores your flagging faith sometimes in a business that isn't anywhere near as good as it used to be. Especially now, everyone knows the little secrets and there's so many smart marks looking around who think they know how the business works and what it entails and whatever. But then you get a match like that. It, come, it happened with John Cena and, and CM Punk years ago and it happened a few times before and since where people just totally have bought into everything have suspended their disbelief. There's an ultimate good guy and an ultimate heel, and it just goes off like absolute magic. And that was one of those matches for me. And I just I don't think Sami Zayn should have won it. I think Roman Reigns should go on and wrestle Cody because I think that would be amazing too. But the way that they did it and the falsies in it, it made you believe that Sami could do it. And for someone like me who's been involved in wrestling for 21 years, to get that wrapped up in a match and look forward to seeing it as much as I did and for it not to disappoint. It's good. It restores my faith in, in, in the business a little bit. And I just thought it was amazing. I really did. Yeah, it was a really cool piece of pro wrestling. I don't know if my words are going to be able to do this any justice, but I'll try my best. Yes, we knew deep down that Sammy probably wasn't going to win the belts on that night in Montreal, but they sure did everything possible to try and make me doubt myself there were several moments there where I was kind of on the edge of my seat almost about to jump out thinking Sammy might have done it but it wasn't meant to be and I'm really glad that they got to have this match because 
every bit of it just worked. The entrances, and then even before that with the video packages, it made this feel like it was a WrestleMania match. It was great. It had such hype, such a great epic atmosphere, and it was hard not to get caught up in the emotion and just the circumstance of it all. Like, I know when Roman started this sort of two-year-long stint as champion that he would be able to own it and make it his own, but I never thought he could be this good. Yeah, we've seen him in great matches before, and he's always been booked really strong strong but no doubt he's fantastic at the moment he's do, he's doing everything in his power to also raise the stock of other wrestlers standing opposite him as well whoever he goes up against he did it for Cesaro he had that match a couple years ago that was fantastic he did it with Daniel Bryan he's done it with Kevin Owens he's now done it for Sami Zayn like <laughs> Roman Reigns didn't have to do that he didn't have to put Sammy up there with him on his level and raise his stock up as much as he did because if we were thinking about Sami Zayn this time last year we go oh he's doing the weird kind of cuckoo conspiracy thing he's never going to amount to anything fast forward a year later at Elimination Chamber 23 and we're going ah oh, Sammy almost won the WWE undisputed heavyweight world title or whatever it's called nowadays and that's just the amazing thing that you can do in professional wrestling the stars were aligned on that night it just so happened it was in Montreal his hometown that added an Eve a bigger fight feel to this whole thing. Sammy didn't go home with the gold, but like he is properly up there now. He's got that plucky underdog thing that people love to chant for. And I just hope that WWE can capitalize on this and see the emergence of a new major player in WWE. They just have to kind of book him like Daniel Bryan, because when you look at those two on the surface, Bryan Danielson, Daniel Bryan, they're both kind of undersized. They're very hairy. They're indie darling underdogs. They've got a grind grassroots fan base behind them and they can both talk and they can both work so all they need to do really is just kind of rewind five six seven eight nine ten years ago and think about all the good stuff that they did with Daniel Bryan granted they did some bad stuff with him back then as well but the stuff that they did do right with him just kind of transpose that insert Sammy on there and you've got money and it's great and ha having said that though as easy as it sounds for Sammy from now on it's still going to be a really tough I don't know, it's going to be an epic battle for him to stay up there now. because well, that's, that's, the, that's the problem you've got now, isn't it? It's because he's had yeah. that. I mean, he's worked, he's worked Roman. Like, there's no one bigger than Roman. And there's no reason for him to go off and wrestle anyone else other than people who are in the bloodline. You would assume he's, now he's speared Jay, so that there's probably going to be some kind of dealings with them now whether he's going to wrestle Jey Uso at Mania or whether it's him and Owens against the Usos. That'd be cool. That'd be a great match. But it isn't going to have as much heat as that. And it does somewhat feel to me a little bit of a demotion, no matter how cool it is. But still, if you can keep that story going, if you can keep it interesting, if you can keep Roman fucking in the background with it, there's no reason they can't revisit Roman a little bit later on and do like a Sammy and Roman too. And I think that would, I mean, it's never going to have the same bite as the first one, but it will at least it'll keep, at least it will keep Sammy up there. Because honestly, I really don't think they should have Roman even lose to Cody. I don't. I, but also I think if Cody did lose, it might kill his momentum a bit. I don't know. I just don't really know. That's what, I think that's why I'm enjoying it so much. Because I wouldn't know what to do in this particular situation. And obviously, I mean, I'm saying like, oh, I wouldn't know what to do. So therefore, no one in the world would know what to do. But I mean, I don't know what I would do. If I had this particular, as a promoter, if I had this particular situation in front of me, what the fuck would I do? Where would I go with it? And my real strong inclination would be 
fuck it, keep the belt on Roman. I mean, if you if he's had it for God knows how long, then you know, really fucking milk the shit out of it. But then there's always that danger, especially when you're producing as much content as WWE is, is to miss the boat. I mean, that was the thing about the match from Elimination Chamber. That match, all the stars aligned. That was exactly the right time to have that match. It wasn't the right time for Roman to lose, but it was the right time to have that match. And there's also a right time for Roman to lose. And is that against Cody? I don't know. And also now, I wouldn't know how to keep Sammy as strong as they have done over the past year. Or well, everything I see him doing further on now, unless he's working Roman, is as a demotion. Unless, unless he does drop, Roman Reigns does drop the belt. To Cody and Sammy work for SummerSlam, maybe. So just keep Sammy on the boil until then, if they can. So whatever the deal is, it's quite a good situation all, all around because a few months back before this whole bloodline thing and before Sammy was really up there, it was just Roman, really. And then Brock was doing his own thing, but really it was Roman. But now Sammy is a fucking megastar. Cody is a megastar. And I'm pretty soon Austin Theory will be up there as well. You know, so at least they're creating new stars again, which is something that the WWE hasn't done in a long time, has it, really? No, I completely agree. And it's going to be a tough booking decision, whoever's taking on that mantle right now. I can't really think of a way out of it other than we've come this far with the bloodline. There's now starting to see dissension in it with obviously Sammy now leaving the bloodline. We've got Jey Uso there now questioning things. We've got dissension within the Usos as well. Do we just go on and just have a complete and total destruction of the bloodline at WrestleMania? We have Roman versus Cody. We have possibly Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn versus the Usos. The Usos lose their belt and then that kind of puts Roman on the back foot as well. Maybe have Solo Sokoa have a match there he loses or something or they have some sort of gimmick there where you've got Roman at the end of it all maybe even Paul Heyman somehow gets knocked out or isn't there so you've literally got Roman he talks about his island of rele- relevancy maybe he's literally going to be on that island all by himself and it's going to be one on one because for the last two years he's always had the backup of the Usos he's had the backup of uh, Paul Heyman and most recently he's had the backup of Solo Sokoa as well But then you eliminate all of that and it's just down to Cody, just down to Roman Reigns. They have their final WrestleMania match, the final night of WrestleMania, and then Cody goes over and that's just the complete destruction of the bloodline. That's the only way I can see that happening. But that does ruin a really good thing right now because I could see Roman going on for another year, especially if he keeps putting guys over. And I don't know who could come up to that level in, in the roster right now. I'm not sure who they could really bring up, but they did it with Sami Zayn, so they could do it with almost anybody. They just need Triple H or whoever's in charge to see somebody and go, okay, that's the person, whether it is, I don't know, Seth Rollins, but he doesn't really need to come up that high. I don't know, Johnny Gargano, Austin Theory, somebody that was in that chamber match, heck, like Logan Paul, some somebody to come up and challenge him and then reach that level of Roman Reigns and then he knocks another person down but also raising their stock at the same time. I don't know what they're going to do. It's going to be an interesting thing and WrestleMania is going to be probably a much-watched TV show because of this match, because of the build-up to this match and because Roman has had that belt for such a long time. When, if Cody pins him one, two, three in the middle of the ring, takes home those belts... It's going to be such a crazy reaction and yeah, I think it's going to go off, but 
it's always where do you go after that? But I guess we can't get a too ahead of ourselves, can we, at the moment? No, no, obviously, and this is quite an exciting time for wrestling. This is the, obviously, other than falling star wrestling, which is, of course, my baby, and our main focus as it's a major part of our career, just actually being a wrestling fan at the moment is actually fairly interesting for the first time in, in a while. So, yeah, I mean, WrestleMania is in six weeks' time. I'll most certainly be watching it, and like I just said, I would have no clue as to where to go from here, but... One thing for sure, it would be a fucking interesting watch. And yeah, when WrestleMania comes around and after it's all said and done, we'll be giving it a review. But obviously between now and then, we've, we've got plenty of shows coming up ourselves, which which I'm sure will be you'll give the details of a little bit later. But yeah, very interesting times for WWE. Real, real, real cool shit. I'm looking forward to WrestleMania and seeing how it all pans out. So Elimination Chamber 2023 on the whole, Jim, what were your thoughts on the show from start to finish? That's it. I think I think it got gradually better as it went along with a bit of a, a bit of a maybe a little bit of a stale sort of mixed tag, but I would say that that it was a very solid show. Obviously, elevated hugely by a fantastic main event. I have to give all the guys and girls a big thumbs up and five stars all round. Every single match, five stars, and especially the last match, I wouldn't give it a six stars because with five stars is the maximum. But I mean that is five stars with a five. Shiny golden stars, beautifully well done, perfectly fucking executed. Just one of those matches that that happens happens once in a lifetime. What about you? What do you think as a whole? I thought it was a really good show, actually. And the more I think about it, the more I start to see a few cracks appear. The more that we're talking about it, that first Elimination Chamber match, yeah, there was a few issues in it. The mixed tag team match, the weird booking with Brock and with Bobby. But when I think about when I was watching it, I woke up on Sunday morning thinking, oh, it was Elimination Chamber last night, expecting to flick it on and it'd be this six-hour epic marathon full of just nonsense and stuff but it was five pretty good matches they were all really thoroughly entertaining none of them really dragged and it just built and it built and then we finally got that match between Sami Zayn and Roman Reigns and it's not often that I sit there and just are engrossed in a wrestling match often it's you have a passing interest in it or you half watch it or you watch it just because we're doing a review but this like you I genuinely wanted to watch it whether we were going to do the review or not I wanted to sit down and just give my full attention to it which I did and I smiled throughout the whole thing and it was just a pleasure to watch so it just gave me just such a feel-good factor and when I compare it to the Royal Rumble, which I actually really liked as well, I thought they got the booking right on the Royal Rumble, that's kind of two premium live events in a row that I've actually enjoyed watching. Royal Rumble was a little bit too long in my opinion. This was, it was sort of almost the perfect length and having five matches, giving them a little bit of time, not stuffing too much crap in there, it just made it a thoroughly entertaining watch for me. So you're right, yeah, and you know, that's the key. It's, it, it's always about, building up to that main event every match was different even though there were two elimination chambers they were still two very different elimination chambers built up to a spectacular main event like you said the rumble was great i remember survivor series being very good as well the wwe has put together some really good premium live events recently i you know i don't watch raw or smackdown but i see some clips of the promos here and there and their promos seem to be pretty good and pretty engaging as well. Their ratings are going up. WWE is, is heading towards the right direction in terms of their creative output, their ratings. And it's definitely 
piqued my interest. So yeah, we'll see what happens and we'll continue to review the show. And the good thing about WWE doing well, it means there's that sort of trickle-down economics of wrestling, isn't it? When the biggest company in the world is doing well, that means the smaller kind of indie shows do well. So hopefully that'll have a knock-on effect of Falling Star Wrestling as well as we head into the rest of February, March and April where we've got plenty of shows to come, right? Sure, too, right. Yeah, so obviously the 25th of February, we have, we've got wrestling coming up. Some matches will be announced soon, maybe even before this podcast. We've also got Watlington Village Hall on March the 9th. That's a Sunday, so please bear in mind the earliest start time. So doors open at 3.30, showtime at 4.30. And then we have Fodsyke on the 25th of March, which is a new venue over in Lincolnshire, we're very excited about that. That's going to be a very busy show. We're starting to branch out into new areas and new venues. And also, I think there's a in March, there's a, another Westland sprinkled in between Watlington and, and Fodside. I can't remember the exact date of that one. But as per normal, Matt's keeping on top of all the posters, all the events on our Fallen Star Wrestling Facebook page. So please make sure you check it out because March and April are going to be very busy months for Fallen Star Wrestling. Plenty of shows plenty of action and again plenty of storyline to keep you guys engrossed in what we're doing and keep you guys entertained and coming back for more fsw action that's right jimmy star lots of falling star wrestling live action to come in february march and april this year 2023 more on that in a second first of all i just want to thank you for checking out the falling star wrestling podcast today your support means the world you can and probably should subscribe to the podcast on your preferred podcast player whether that's google or apple podcasts or even spotify we're across them all also, we'd love you to drop us a five-star rating too. It means the world helps us out loads. And the best thing is, it's free to do so. You know what else is free? Following Falling Star Wrestling on social media. We can be found on Facebook and Instagram. It's at Falling Star Wrestling. All of the dates for our next few shows are on there, such as this Saturday at the Wesleyan Sports and Social Club in Kingsland for our monthly fight night. Already announced PVC, that's me, We'll be facing the Empire's newest hired goon, Robbie Lewis, in singles action. Also, my podcast pal and tag team partner, Jimmy, will be taking on the other active member of Wakefield's Empire All-Pro, Sean Stone. You know the drill. Door 6.30, bell time 7.30, tickets on the door. And then in March, we have back-to-back-to-back shows starting in Watlington on Sunday, 12th of March, then the following week on Saturday, March 18th, back in West Lynn, and then one week after that, the 25th of March, we're taking our first steps into new territory, Fosdyke. For all the details, it's at Falling Star Wrestling on social media. Okay, that's enough shilling. Cheers again for listening to the show today, and I'm sure we'll catch you next time for another edition of the Falling Star Wrestling Podcast. See you later.